stars at night are big and bright. It's the heart of Texas. La 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 la. It's wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas. Hello. Welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. For hell or high water. Hell or high. Yeah, yeah, not and high water. It's My name is Tom Chick. I am here to discuss hell or high water with Christian McCrinsky. Uh They call me Mr. Pibb. Ah, I like it. I do too. With a hell or high water tagline, Kelly Wand. It's like True Grit, but with only one rattlesnake. Okay. I don't like any of my material for this podcast. So None of it. Wow. Mm, All right. Yeah. So did you just go with one tagline then? No, I wrote more. All right. What do you got? I mean, for thought of more. That's the pretense. Is that these are things I'm just thinking of. Right? <laughs> okay. That's what it sounds like, isn't it? Uh, finally, a movie where Ben Foster has issues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> finally, a movie where Jeff Bridges talks like that. <laughs> the Seventh Son. Regret. I feel and like you're doing fine. R.I.P. That's all I have. Okay, good. So good. I want to end on an up note. Dingus, don't spoil Hell or High Water because some people listening might not have seen it yet, and they might want just a touch of information about whether or not they should see it. So, Dingus, just give them the basics right now with no spoilers. All right, this week we saw Hell or High Water, a 2016 neo-Western crime drama blacklist movie about things we do for our kids. Uh, it was directed by David McKenzie and written by Taylor Sheridan. Mm. It stars Heidi <laughs> Sulzman, Gil Birmingham, Katie Mixon, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and Jeff Bridges. Uh, Hell or High Water is rated R for some strong violence, mm. language throughout, mm-hmm. Hmm. And brief sexuality. Nah. <laughs> you gonna, are you going to refuse? That's pretty brief. Are you going to yeah. use the background sexuality in that one? I don't thing? accept their bluff. Well, Kelly, why don't you fix their rating and, and uh, let the MPAA know what it should have been rated and why? This ke- uh, movie's Kelly Wan rated um, zero with the line through it. For uh, some accents, Katie Mixon and graphic car burials. <laughs> Wait, is the Katie Mixon like you're warning parents about Katie Mixon? Well, she's just that exciting or, to me. I don't know if you're being facetious, but I, there are two of us on this podcast, Kelly Wan, who are dyed in the wool Katie Mixon fans. Yeah. And if you need, if you want to step outside and discuss this further, either one of us will with you. I like you, but. And she knows how many fan. buttons to leave unbuttoned. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you misunderstand me. I okay, remember. good. All right. Uh, well, Hell or High Water is better than Fury Road. What do you guys think of that? It is 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. 98% of the reviews are positive, whereas only 97% of the reviews of Fury Road were positive. So there you go. On Metacritic, it's at 88, though, which is the uh, average rating from various... That's the speed at which uh, Marty McFly travels through time. It is, isn't it, Kelly Wan? I like how he made a car where you have to go faster than any car to do it. Instead of just like 
It's like it's a time machine. So when you just go, I'll just so when you go up to ten miles an hour, you're traveling through time. Like why yeah. would you make it hard to do? In the future, we're not going to need scores. <laughs> mm, I think it's a physics thing, Kelly Wan. You'll have to you'll have to take it up with Doc Brown. Really? I just thought he went with the number 88 because he thought it's You know, 88 is a racist number. Why? Uh, I don't know. There's a in, in World War II, the Germans had an infamous uh, anti-tank gun that was also used for anti-aircraft. Uh, that was 88 millimeter. And at, at some point, there's something about uh, the eighth letter in the alphabet is H, so Hitler's initials are 88. But through some weird equivalent of Kabbalah or whatever, uh, white supremacists have latched onto the number 88. So. It seems all arbitrary. We can take the number back. Quinn we Tarantino should as well. With, uh, Kill Bill, the yeah. something eighty-eight. But I didn't. So did the DeLorean has to go eighty-eight miles an hour? Yeah, when it yeah. goes eighty-eight, you're going to see some serious shit. That's I did not know that Robert Zemeckis was a white supremacist. You sure it's eighty-eight? Well, yeah. Isn't H H the eighth letter? A B C D. Which one are you F, doubting? G, the Back H, to the yeah. Future. I'm, I'm doubting the DeLorean thing. No, when he goes, when this baby hits 88, you're going to see some serious shit. Here, have <laughs> some. Yes, have right, some. Fine, fine. I'm, I, I, remember believe, the, I believe you. I, I believe you. I believe. Million, 88 miles per hour. Everybody knows that's time travel. Well, Kelly Wan, let's stop talking about white supremacy and get into the hell or high wapsis, which is what you naturally uh, call a synopsis of hell or high water, if I'm not mistaken. You think I'd retain the A and not go racist on Italians? There's no Italians in the movie that I can recall. <laughs> that doesn't matter to Jeff Bridges' character. Ah, very good. <laughs> See? No, he's just teasing. He's, just he's like, yeah, he's lovable, like the uh, Grand Torino Eastwood character. Okay. Hell or high wapsis. Wapsis. A ginger woman, age appropriate for me, is jumped by two men wearing pantyhose wrong to rob a bank. <laughs> It's all gibberish. <laughs> One's all. She's top don't build. She's top build. I, mean, I love yeah, that she's a ginger woman, too. I never thought yeah. of uh, Dale Dickey that way. That's awesome. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Makes her even more adorable. <laughs> there you get really, uh, they're the subject of racial hate crimes in Oz, the ginger woman. One of the robbers is all. <laughs> Way too deep a pull for me or Dingus Kelly Wan. Sorry. That's not part of the opposite. Let's just be being boring. That's value added. Yeah. <laughs> One of the robbers is all. Don't scream. Just open the safe and give my brother your small bills. <laughs> <laughs> the other one's all. Yeah, do whatever Spock says. I mean, she's all, you boys knew it, this, ain't you? I ain't got the passcode for the ball. Only Mr. Barlikins has that. And he won't be along for three more minutes, so y'all better just mosey. You're not guilty of anything yet besides being stupid. The first bank robber raises his gun. He's all, call me Foster again. <laughs> You're the puppet. She looks scared but doesn't verbally retract anything. A banker with a white shirt comes in and goes, Boba doop doop what the? <laughs> Foster clubs him. Then he's all, Call me stupid again and no one gets hurt. The other robber's all, Yeah, this means war. Beyond. Shadow recruit. Meanwhile, in a Walker, Texas Ranger office, Jeff Bridges scowls at his Hispanic colleague and goes, 
Why you always dressing up like me there, Gary? Ain't you supposed to be wearing war paint and a voodoo mask and a kimono? (laughs) (laughs) Part of what I loved about it, and this is so appropriate, there was a little Carrie Fisher in there. Yeah, there was. You're absolutely right. You can take the Fisher out of the Kelly. Wait. Switch those. You can't take it out of the Ford. Yeah. Gary's all... Uh, these are law enforcement uniforms. They're supposed to look similar. What is this, your character's first day? Ha! Stupid engine sign. Y'all crack me up. <laughs> A cop walks past and throws garbage on Gary's phone. Jeez! Oh, my God. What is that, Kelly Wand? The Indian from the 70s commercial. I know. Why is that? What I th- I'm convinced you lost a bet and have to do this for some reason. The weirdest through line. Gary's all... <sighs> Kelly... I look over at Cormac playing Sudoku beside me and go, speaking of which, I have TP stuck to my shoe. The cop who threw the garbage comes back and goes, oh, yeah, also a Texas Midland bank got robbed. I told him thanks. I'm with Wells Fargo and put him on hold. Meanwhile, Foster drives a tractor to bury their getaway car under dirt in a trench. He tips four loads of dirt in and then goes, maybe you should get out of the car now. (laughs) From under the dirt, Pine's all, hang on, the song's almost over. He turns the radio on to static. Once the car's buried and Foster digs Pine out and reburies the car, Pine leads Foster into a room with a dead mom in it on a stretcher. He's all, yeah, so mom died a few weeks ago. Did she mention me? Uh, yeah, but only to remind me to tell you that she didn't mention you. Was there a will? Yeah, she left you this. He gives Foster a small box. Foster opens it and gazes down at the middle finger cushion within. Maybe we should bury her. Uh, I think the tractor's out of gas now. Meanwhile, at the robbed bank, Bridges smirks at a banker walking up to him with a black eye and a bloody nose. Looks like they really bopped your schnozzle. That weren't very nice. Guys all, huh? I just got here. Listen, is there any way we can look at the tape footage of the robbery on these surveillance cameras you have here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're supposed to have tapes? Bridges scowls at Gary, who's dusting the top of the nearby cubicle partition for prints. Damn it, stop that. Stupid redskins never should have traded Theismann. Well, I got a shit like an old goat. He grabs a newspaper and heads into the vault. The banker shakes his head and goes, You walkers are a funny bunch. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) We got that. We understood it. Yeah, that's good. All right. It said something else, but never mind. Gary's all, just him. They stand in silence and wait for the toilet to flush. Meanwhile, Foster and Pine go to the diner from Drive Angry, where Katie Mixon still waitresses. (laughs) Thank you so much. As Mixon sets their hot cakes and grits down, Foster's all, I'm going to rob that bank across the street. Please get me the happy boy omelet to go. As he scoots angrily past Mixon, she beams at Pine. Anything else I can get you if y'all know what I mean? She winks at his dick. Pine's all. 
Yeah, I don't have sex in this. <laughs> wow. What's happening? Damn. Sure didn't kill when I wrote it. She's all, I like you. She sashays off. He sighs, decides that was a $200 conversation, and leaves it on the table in fives. As he heads into the parking lot, Foster runs up giggling and carrying bags with dollar signs while bankers shoot at him, then shake their fists. Pine sighs, lets Foster in the passenger side, drives around till he finds a pit, sighs again, finds a bulldozer, and gets in, shaking his head. They drive the tractor to a gas station. Pine's all... Okay, stay here and try not to stare into space too aggressively. I'm going to run into the store real quick and watch. (laughs) As Pine leaves, a green sports car pulls up at the adjacent pump. The kid driving it stares at Foster with annoyance. Hey, man, don't look bored when I pull up. That's hurtful, yo. I have things to say. Just give me a few. Foster's all. There's ten of me. The kid reveals a pistol and smirks as he bangs it against his own door, denting it. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, guess what? I got two bullets in this, so it looks like one of us is H. It's <laughs> <laughs> the sound of someone being jumped by Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah, a head banged into a car door. They have time to scream. <laughs> in the middle of some math jokes. Pine bangs his head against his door, then throws the gun away. Foster's all, good, you remembered the gun. I am amused. See, gentlemen in the green car, I told you. The guy sobs, that wasn't him. Pine drives Foster to a trailer. Inside, he picks up a white Stetson, scowling. You stole my hat? I borrowed it. To gather dust in this trailer while I was in prison planning this moment. He points at the soda he's drinking. Only assholes drink Mr. Pibb. Pine rolls his eyes. Some dirt plops onto his face, crumbling from the open skylight above his head. He swipes the drapes aside to find the trailers buried completely under dirt. He's all... You left the bulldozer running? Meanwhile, in the diner, Fridges sits across from Gary and throws bread at him. Eventually, he's all... Least if I died, I'd have some stupid ass half breed to avenge me. <laughs> you like eating fish? Not every day. Jesus, Gary. Could you possibly embarrass yourself any further? <laughs> he looks at Mixon, who's been standing by the table during all this, and goes, Sorry there, Nanook. What was your question? I asked if y'all ready to order yet. Gary is probably going to want fire water and maize cooked in a smoke lodge full of canoes or some shit. <laughs> I'll have the hula burger and a Mr. Pibb. Mac Ryan throws up at a nearby table. Oh, and whatever she's having. <laughs> I'm only interested in trying to cut up, swallow, and digest that $200 tip them handsome bank robbers gave you. Oh, he's a pirate now. <laughs> that ain't evidence it's my tip till it's convicted in a kangaroo court of law 
Actually, uh, I will take the canoes and another Mr. Pibb. Meanwhile, Pine and Foster go to Vegas to launder dough and have some times. While Pine blows off a hooker's advances, Foster smirks at Gary, who's sitting at the same poker table across from him. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I didn't get that. <laughs> they know each other. That's why oh I should explain. I see you're drinking Mr. Pibb, Lord of the Plains. Annoyed, Gary slowly removes his glasses so he can't see. He's all... The English word for Comanche's asshole. And what does that make me? Uh, Choctaw? A mixin'. Having won the argument, Foster celebrates by walking off. Then he laughs at a hooker for hitting on his brother. Then he has sex with a different hooker while his brother wraps some underwear around his head and tries to concentrate on the TV volume coming through the wall. In the adjoining motel room, a televangelist is all... And the master of the house went unto them and said, Nay, my brethren, this man's new in town, but don't worry, here's my virgin daughter my concubine. Do what you want with them till morning. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, Gary, change the channel and find something we can all enjoy, you cannibal half-wit. Gary sighs and switches it to K-Pax. Soon bridges his snort. <laughs> then he gets walks around outside wearing his blanket like a cape. I look over at Ed Harris in black and go... I think he misses his Iron Man character. The next morning at a diner... And stop saying the Aztecs invented the Oscars. What the hell are you talking about? The waitress standing by their table sighs and goes, What don't y'all want? They're all, huh? Huh? <laughs> 20 years people been coming through that door ordering trout. We don't serve no goddamn trout or green beans. We sell only T-bones and ashtrays full of cigarette butts. So what don't you want with your butts? I'll just have a latte and quinoa. Wait, hang on. Is the quinoa liquid at room temperature? I <laughs> uh, can't believe we lost you. Also, I need to give you... <laughs> <laughs> hate these. And be able to wake. Should just leave it there. It's better anyway. Also, I need you to give me all your tips from yesterday's police evidence. <laughs> he winks at Gary. The waitress rolls her eyes and storms off. Two T-bones for the redneck and redskin. No meat, extra green beans. At a nearby table, Tommy Lee Jones and his partner look over in annoyance. <laughs> Michael Kane walks up, looks at where they're all sitting, and smiles <laughs> happily. He's hallucinating again. His ghosts. Meanwhile, in a ditch, Chris Pine drinks some beer with his 13-year-old son, belches, and goes, Yeah, uh, don't be like me. The kid's all, all right. Foster walks up and goes, Pine, I need you by the fence for what we discussed earlier. Pine sighs and ambles over to a fence to play grab-ass with Foster while a chick sings in slow motion. The next morning, the bank robbery goes swimmingly, and the Pine gets shot, and then all the townspeople shoot at them and chase them in pickups. <laughs> so Foster gets out and sprays machine gun fired their windshields. An old woman packing a stinger launcher's all, Our windshields, run! The townspeople all turn around and start driving, looking for another bank robbery to troll. Pine parks while Foster lowers another car to view with the bulldozer. Not the election's over. Foster squints at Pine's bullet wound and goes, Don't worry, this will heal on its own by the last scene. Pine's all, Hey, can I live in your trailer? Maybe in the days you can help me paint my ex-wife's house with me and dig an oil well. Foster's all, hmm. 
he gets in the truck, drives it through a bunch of police cars, blows up the truck, then starts picking off cops and civilians with a sniper rifle from a nearby <laughs> hill. Jeff Bridges crawls over to Gary, crouched behind a wheel, doing nothing. Gary's all, Hey, Foster, nice shooting, nerd. Bridges is all, Don't worry, I ran around and told all them civilians to stay out of range till they kept ignoring me. Now, what say you going up there with a bone tommyhawk and a wood nickel? <laughs> 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 Homespun. Speaking of which, I infected that blanket slash cape at the motel last night with smallpox. His gun goes off, killing Gary instantly. Gary, no! Damn you to hell, Foster! He runs back to the townspeople and grabs a guy getting into his truck. Hey, you know any back way around that hill, Blair? Uh, you just sorted me out of shooting range. My partner's dead! That means help me! Wait, what? Dude, just go up the back side. It's right there. You know how photography works. I said help dead. The guy sighs and takes him to a rock right behind Foster two feet away. <laughs> yeah, so when you want to shoot it, you just squeeze this trigger shake. I'm a senile law enforcer. Stop touching. Foster shoots 38th rock, sighs happily, sits on a rock, and goes, Lord of the Plains. In the dictionary under that... It says, see, Fost, his gun goes off, shooting him through the head. His posture worsens. <laughs> Bridges is all, yeehaw, I did it, I shot me an engine. I mean, the guy's all, yeah, that's great there, Pops. Can I have my gun back now? Police evidence, get your own. Two hours later, on Chris Pine's porch, <laughs> well, well. Chris Pine. <laughs> what did you do? Okay. Fuck you, looks. Pine Cox's rifle sits on the rocker and rests it on his arms. Bridges walks up and goes, I killed your brother. Oh, yeah? You want a beer? I'm not on duty no more, but sure. Pine gives Bridges the rest of his. You and I got unfinished business. Oh, you mean unstoppable? <laughs> Suddenly, his ex-wife and someone's kids pull up in the driveway. Pine and Bridges roll their eyes and go, (laughs) The brunette kid's all, Hey, Dad, look what I can do. He trips over a nail on the porch and falls on his face, crying. Pine's all, It's okay, Billy Sue. Daddy and Uncle Ben made you a billionaire. He looks at Bridges and goes, I live at 681 Johnson Avenue, apartment double D. Stop by any time after the credits. Bridges mumbles something. He tips his hat and walks back to his car. The cameraman loses interest and just leaves the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did you give it to Bridges? (laughs) As the credits tell me who fed and shaved Foster. The end. (laughs) Wow. That was great. That went better than I was hoping. What <laughs> a fucking goose egg. After that handmaiden sh- drivel. 
But yeah. Okay, so there's the hell or high watches. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Wow. All right. I really it challenging. It, was, it <laughs> seems like a challenging movie. Uh, I guess there's I, a lot of acting in it, though. I could not have expected that to go better. That was yeah, me neither. Yeah. I mean, neither. Shit. Well, let's do some over-unders to <laughs> take everyone's temperature for how they feel about the movie. Loses interest. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> yeah. I don't make these things up. I just transcribe. I'm like the uh, medium at the Ouija board. Hey, you know what's not terrible? Uh, the, the most recent Ouija movie. You saw it? Yeah, I sneaked into it after uh, after seeing a movie this week, and because I'm thinking I'm just one of those things where I was just going to leave partway through, uh, and I quite liked it. I pitched it to you to podcast about. I I <laughs> know that we should. I, like it's not really. Uh, it's not worth talking about. It's a it's a standard Blumhouse horror movie, but it's definitely on the edge of better Blumhouse. And the little girl in it is amazing. I mean, that's what really sells it. Is they've got. Uh, uh, I've never seen her before. This amazing little blonde actress playing this little possessed kid, and they do a weird thing at the end where they're now trying to make uh, like Ouija and Insidious and Sinister. They have now decided with the end of Ouija, I think it's called Origin of Evil, that these are now shared universe movies, and they have what? one of those Marvel ending things after the credits. Oh my! Which was amazing. That I was like, wow, the audacity it took to do that is hilarious. Wait, Insidious, Sinister, and Ouija are all the same universe? Uh, there, so Ouija's Origins of Evil is a period piece, and at the very end, do you know who uh, – oh, shoot. What is her name? Not Annabelle. Lynn Shay. Uh, the actress who plays a medium in the uh, – what, what are the movies where Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson get scared? Insidious. Conjuring. Wait, yeah. Well, at any rate, they, they didn't Insidious. tie – she's an actress from those movies. They tie her in by just saying, oh, she's supposed to be – this was her as her childhood. Uh, you wouldn't know unless you'd seen those other movies during that last scene. You'd be like, what? But if you've seen those other other movies, it's kind of worth a chuckle. Um, but yeah, so anyway, sorry, let's let's now no, talk. I, I, first of all, I, I just want to say that I love the idea of on the edge of better as some sort of a tagline. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the Blumhouse horror movies, I mean, it's, Event Horizon. it's really an industry, and uh, most of them are pretty terrible, I, I think. Uh, but some of them are good, uh, so... On the edge Horror of stuff. Yeah. Ouija's aren't scary to me, so I'm curious how they made the wood. Yeah, I never understood that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, now you can find out because it's an origins story. It's like being afraid of circuses. Or something. Mm, I could recommend some circus horror movies. No, there are, but you, when you say circus, people will go, ooh. Well, as if Ouija, it's supposed to be something. Also, like, oh, when don't you say, use it. don't touch the wood. I always wonder if it's Ouija or Ouija. Either, n- neither one sounds scary. Ouija well, sounds. Ouija weird. just sounds like something you're going to clean your windshield with. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil the movie, but maybe you guys should see it and educate yourselves Was before it you wreck using yourselves. Using a Ouija board. Ah. Uh, before you. Uh, Let's talk uh, Hell or High Water. I'm going to do my over-under first. My over for this uh, – I, I really, really like this, but I I was a little disappointed coming to it from the perspective that, hey, this is the guy that wrote Sicario, uh, whereas uh, Sicario was this uh, beautiful revenge story that emerges very naturally from a story about the intersections of the wars on drug and terror. I felt like this was a little bit more of a pastiche of regional concerns that I don't think really congealed very well uh, on a couple of fronts. But for the most part, I really, really like this. But as a story about – and I think this is 
part of what Taylor Sheridan was getting at, a story about poverty and about the banking system and the financial crisis. My over would be Margin Call just for that movie's insight and making it accessible into what happened. My under would be uh, – oh, shoot, Ramin Bazari. Shoot, I'm going to screw up his name. Uh, anyway, a movie called 99 Homes with Michael yeah. Shannon and Andrew Garfield, which was about uh, the, uh, the housing crisis, uh, and I thought it was very facile, uh, just a terrible – way to look at this crisis's impact on people's lives didn't like 99 homes at all so i'm not bracketing at all but if you take this as a movie about uh poverty and the financial crisis my over would be margin call my under would be 99 homes hell or high water clearly nudges up against margin call on the quality level though dingus what are your overs and unders for this all right uh i did not like this um uh, I, 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 I actually I should qualify that. There are things I really did like about it. Uh, in fact, the the final moment of the movie uh, redeems it for me almost entirely. Uh, and there's a couple other moments feathered in that I really did like, but there are so many obvious touches and things I couldn't stand about it that ultimately I really did not like this movie. Um, but because of the final moment, which which made me feel like uh, this is. Uh, and I know this term is going to be anathema to Kelly Wand, uh, made me feel like this is an origin story, uh, almost. Um, this idea of, uh, will you bring me peace or will I bring you peace? Uh, and this idea of, of the two of them now, uh, meeting up at this, at, at his apartment in town that he's renting, uh, and, and it being like an origin story of a partnership between the two of them or some weird, uh, hero story between the two of them that will give their lives, the rest of their lives meaning when, when it seems like their lives have run out of meaning. Um, I, I love that, that, that final moment of the movie kind of, uh, um, redeems the movie for me. So, uh, for me, the over would be, uh, unbreakable, uh, because I love that as an origin story. And the under, and this is way under this, even though I didn't like this, I really hated this particular movie as Desierto, because as they're leaving the the desert at the end of Desierto, I get the sense that there could be something going on that is, I don't know, the beginning of the structure of the rest of their lives. Um, this, I feel like it has more of a mythology about it, this idea that you know, the, you can go anywhere with this. So I like this as an origin story at the end, uh, which is why I would put uh, Unbreakable over it. Kelly Wand, what are your overs and unders? Or actually, over and under singular for Hell or High Water. Um, I went with movies where you're following the cop and like the criminals at the same time, and it's not ruined, where I kind of like both factions. Mm -hmm. Whereas like in... Uh, Triple eight. I was. I didn't really care about the. Wait, is that that's not triple nine. Triple no, nine. Triple nine. Triple nine. Hundred eleven points off. It's of it. eighty eight for to go to through time and nine triples to say officer down. Got it. So my over was No Country for Old Men because it's uh and it's got Texas Gothic tinges like this. Mm -hmm. And was yeah. yeah, and the acting is really good. Like you just think about the acting afterwards. Most, even though the writing's really good too, but just every character is very defined. And then my under was Miami Blues, 
with Fred Ward and Alec yeah. Baldwin. Nice. Which is kind of a weird pick because it's one of the – I remember really liking that movie because it felt like it wasn't even like the most important event in those – in like the Fred Ward character's life. Because I think he's missing his false teeth or something and that's that's eating at him more than chasing the Baldwin character. <laughs> but um, but I like both those characters and I liked the resolution and I, I did like this movie a lot. Um, I thought the acting was great. So would you say you're on Team Tom rather than Team Dingus? I think I'm on Team Tom. Take that, Dingus. I, I don't I know what it. Dingus didn't like or did he say. Well, Dingus, let's get into it because I, I also did have some reservations about it, and I suspect you're probably going to be able to voice some of those when you talk about things that you couldn't stand about this because this is getting you know great reviews. Uh, before I saw it, I heard from a couple of my friends who were pretty reliable, oh, you got to see Hell or High Water. You know, Don't find out anything about it. Just go um, – so I, this is a very yeah. lauded movie. So that said, Dingus, what were some of the things that you couldn't stand about it? Uh, boy, I really couldn't stand Jeff Bridges in it. Uh, really? I'm getting really sick of his shtick. I'm getting – I mean your voice for him was part. pretty much – I don't care. I'm getting sick of it. Yeah. I'm getting sick of his – I'm getting sick of that. I mean is that all he's going to do from now on? Because I'm tired of it. I, and I didn't buy it here. Um, I much would have preferred this movie to have been about um, Armand or, or Gil Birmingham's character. Who I is, that, is that the guy who's his partner, Dingus? That's his partner. Should we know uh, the actor from anything? I don't know him from okay. anything. I just really liked him, and I and I looked him up. I think he was in a couple of TV, uh, some TV things. Okay. Uh, but I liked him. I liked him a lot. Uh, the thing I thing I liked about him was I, I liked that the movie allowed him to be. Um, it, you know, not just, not just, oh, he's just teasing me, but really actively not liking it, you know, especially in that motel scene where he's, where he's clearly, he's tired of this racist bullshit and he feels like uh, you do towards the bridges cure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sick of hearing it. <laughs> but, he but was, then, it's his emotional connection yeah, to the movie. Yeah. That's why he likes but it. But then the, the screenwriter basically betrays him, you know, just basically makes him just go, Oh, well, shucks, you are just teasing me. So I'll just go along with but we knew that. in that motel scene. He seems actively ready. Like I'm ready for you to retire. And there is a good ebb and flow with, I mean, in a lot of friendships, there's that feeling of like, Oh, you're really annoying me. But, uh, ultimately I love you. Um, but for, for him to have to deal with that level of, uh, crap from him and then just pretend it's okay. And I think the screenplay ultimately just betrays him and just knocks him off at the end. Um, I, I just, I mean, I, I really love that guy, but I didn't like, I, I just didn't like Jeff Bridges at all. I, I, I'm tired of, of seeing him do the same shtick. I mean, we saw him do it in uh, – we've seen him do it in plenty of movies. I'm just getting tired of that voice. I'm Kelly Wand, defend Jeff Bridges because I, I want to as well. Let's you and I mount a defense against – Dingus's point that it, there is a kind of Jeff Bridges shtick going on. That's how do true. we How do we stand up for Jeff Bridges? Because it's a little different this time, and it's a little more subtle, and there's periods where he's not using the voice, and he's just acting with his eyes, like on the porch, where he looks like he is kind of slipping a little, but he's still focused. And I think in the other movies, he's, it's more shtick. Like, he's playing like a southern lawman who's retiring soon, and so I, every, that's a stereotype, God, too. We've never seen that before. I, that's I, what I'm saying. I, I, I uh, was annoyed with – well, not annoyed, but I, I – 
didn't really feel it fit with the part of the movie that I liked, which was this relationship between these two brothers uh, yeah. and the whole – I'm super sensitive to wacky cops showing up in a movie where they don't belong or a TV show like Key and Peele in, in the season of Fargo. I don't need a little Rosencrantz and Guildenstern buddy cop team commenting on my cool movie. <laughs> it is cliche, and they were a cliche. Like, but, one's an Indian. But here, here, though, is where I, I loved – how aggrieved uh, the his partner was. I yeah, he wasn't faking tension. it. And I love too how, you know, the, Jeff. Like it, it does force you to consider how do you feel about that sort of teasing racism. You know, is that acceptable? Is it not? Because I'm not entirely sure the movie has an opinion one way or the other. And I kind of uh, like that. Um, yeah. I like that it made me think about, well, wait a minute. Is this appropriate? Is this inappropriate? Is it charming? Is it affectionate? I, I like the ambiguity there a lot, and I really respected – and I don't know if that was David McKenzie's doing or if that was in Taylor Sheridan's script, but I really respected that part of their relationship even though they were, hey, wacky cops coming in from the sidelines. And what ultimately redeemed it for me – and Dingus, you've already used this term, and Kelly Wand, you hate redemption, so I don't know where you're going to go with this – Good Lord, any movie that ends with a conversation is fine by me. And the fact that this movie ended where it ended made it you know, doubly better than I would have liked it before. I have so much respect for what it did and didn't do with the conclusion and specifically for how Jeff Bridges played it. Uh, I, you know, all of his wackiness and his, you know, playing his Rooster Cogburn slash RIPD slash Seventh Son Wizard stuff, all of that just uh, I was okay with in terms of how he ended up and specifically how he reacted to, to his partner being killed. I mean, that was yeah. his wake up call. That was where he, you know, he's going to, when he's saying to Chris Pine, you're going to be haunted by this the rest of your life. He's also talking about himself. Right. Um, well, so, he says that he says that explicitly and I will too. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 although I do understand Dingus's reservations, I feel that it, it, it came to an end that was appropriate, and it ultimately kind of justified it uh, for, for yeah. me personally. Um, so as, See, as – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, just like there wasn't redemption for the foster character. I really liked that. And well, I, like, I just meant – I was kind of joking the head. I was just kind of joking about how the, the movie redeems itself. Dingus and I both use that terminology. Yeah. The, uh, I think the movie redeems itself because of the – because and this is why I call it an origin story, because of the relationship that's being struck between these two men. Here's where I, Dingus, would kind of disagree with that, and it's maybe a little bit semantic. Um, what I love about this ending, and it reminded me a little bit of the ending of Winter's Bone. Uh, the mm. ending of Winter's Bone, uh, Teardrop goes off to get his revenge, and the movie doesn't go with him because the movie is not interested in that. The movie is interested in where uh, – is her name Marie? Uh, anyway, where, where her character yeah. was left in the arc that she has come through. I kind of feel like that's a little bit about what's going on here is that the movie is now that he has brought about this scheme and he has rescued his children from the disease of poverty mm -hmm. that his story is over and it doesn't matter whether they get revenge on each other or not uh, that the movie is not interested in that in the same way that Winter's Bone didn't follow uh, Teardrop at the end. Um, well, I don't think they're going – I mean for me, it's not about whether or not they're going to get – to get revenge upon each other. It's whether they're going to forge some sort of weird partnership. Um, that's what I get from it. You're going to come visit me, and I'll give you peace, or maybe you'll give me peace, or I don't know. I and thought that was about a vengeance thing, like killing uh, each other. I don't know. I could be 
Mr. No, I, I, but I think what, based on the, the, uh, and this is why I love that porch scene, um, based on the way that there was this weird back and forth between the two of them, uh, I get the sense that we're gonna, we're gonna forge some weird, uneasy alliance going forward. And at least that's the fantasy that I had that sort of redeemed the movie for me. But remember the touch thing is where, when the, the ex-wife and the kids drive up, and, and I love how David McKenzie frames this and shoots it. You see Chris Pine's thumb come off of the hammer of his rifle that he's mm-hmm. been holding back. He's planning on having to shoot Jeff Bridges at that point. I mean, and I don't think that that plan, that plan is interrupted by the arrival of his family. And I don't think anything is necessarily said to make that go away. Um, now, no, I freely grant that this is, this is what I love about that bit. There's some, oh, it's open to interpretation. Right. But what I got from it is, here was a man who whose partner was killed and another man whose brother was killed right. by the other person, and they wanted an accounting for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so, I, yeah, I, I, who knows what their relationship is going forward, but I just loved the tension of it. And my read was that that tension might go on, but the movie's not really interested in resolving that right. because it's interested in making this point about being rescued from, from uh, poverty. Um but at any rate, one way or the other, I mean, I think we all love – like my fear when Jeff Bridges gets that gun and puts it in there and in his, in his uh, waist belt and then goes to see Chris Pine, I was worried we were going to have a shootout. And you know, I kind of expected, yeah, that's where this kind of Texas gothic would go. Uh, but well, he fact, has a line about that early on. He's like, you know, you're, you're, we're hoping that the, that these robbers are going to have a shoot. Or I think that that's something that Armando says. You're hoping that the these guys are going to have a shootout, and you'll be able to avoid this this fear you have of retirement. Right, right, sure. And that's sure. an early line in the movie, so that's sort of presaged, you know, that idea that you're you're nervous about that going on, and the fact that it doesn't happen. I just I. You know, because I was expecting a more conventional ending, like they're kind of yeah. with that, and the fact that it didn't do it. I, I, you know. I was expecting a more tragic ending, like for the pine character, like place beyond the pines, ironically. But like, it wasn't like it all kind of worked out. I kind of yeah. liked that. Like, yeah. that seemed like a cool, yeah, like an funny. unexpected twist. And there was a lot of like the Jeff Bridges racial slurs. Like, they weren't funny, and that I liked that too. Like that he wasn't trying. to <laughs> really he wasn't dumb. Charming. Yeah. yeah, they were stupid. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and it's and funny that you say that because Chris Markinson wrote in and he says he he admits to feeling guilty about laughing at the racist insults. That well, were being I think what's funny is that they are stupid. I mean, the thing yeah. is, not, like, like they're not they're 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 funny because he thinks they're funny and they're not. If that yeah. makes sense. Uh, They're more racist than they are funny. Like usually race, racist jokes, like there's at least some wordplay in it, but he's just like being – But you can imagine him being, <laughs> being around people earlier in his life where these things were actually popping off, and now he's like, why aren't these things why – aren't, why aren't these jokes landing anymore? Yeah, yeah. But it's also – there's the cops, I think, talk like that. They kind of bust each other's balls, I think. What, like, what are – what are Texas Rangers? I meant to look this up. So I've never really understood it. Is it the state police? Is it just another name for Texas State yeah, Police, or is it an arm of the Texas State so. Police? But it has. It, it sounds more like a mythos, almost. It sounds more mythological in this, at least. Like, oh, you killed a ranger. Oh God, you killed a ranger. Like they're, like they're a little bit higher than policemen. But I think but it, they, is, is it is. Is it highway patrol? Oh, so it's equi- it, Well, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they are because we don't, you know, we don't have that in California. We didn't have it in Arkansas. Uh, Texas gets Rangers, and we had the bear guys, though. Bear guys in California? Yeah, the the what? ones that's why we have a bear flag. 
Like because they attacked the San Francisco. No, they were just – and they were self-appointed, like, okay, we're taking over from Mexico. We win, bear. But they were super brutal. <laughs> oh, so this is like in the in the war with, with Mexico, you're saying. This isn't like some uh, – Yeah, it's from Blood and Thunder. That's where I learned about it. That's why we have the bear <laughs> on our flag yeah. is from these assholes. But they took it. <laughs> uh, let's talk then about Chris Pine and uh, uh, Ben Foster. What'd you guys I thought think they were both that? great. Mm-hmm. I thought they had really good chemistry, and they felt like brothers. I like Chris Pine's acting in this. I think he's he's good. He he felt he seemed like he was talk, like an actual Texan. Dingus, so, you, you agree with that? Am I crazy for liking uh, it? Uh, I I really I liked Chris Pine a lot. Um, I liked Ben Foster just fine. I feel like he's kind of. Also caricature. I'm I'm kind of in agreement with with something that Chris again Chris Markinson is one of our listeners and he writes in and we encourage people to write in with their ideas about what they thought of the movie and Chris had just seen this like five minutes before he wrote in and he, and he says uh, while I realize a movie like this needs somebody like Ben Foster's character I'm starting to find them tedious. Um, he thinks yeah. they do a good job in the role. It's just I wind up immediately hating those kinds of characters and caring little about them. It's just that, uh, you know, I don't know that necessarily I agree with hating those characters, as Chris says. Um, but um, I don't know. I just I thought that Ben Foster was kind of coasting. I don't, I don't know. It didn't. He didn't do much for me here, and I and I really like Ben Foster a lot. Um, and and maybe part of it is that I found that whole death scene for him. To be so un, not not unsatisfying, but so 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 comically ridiculous um, that uh, that it kind of makes his character kind of like fall flat for me. And I I, I don't know, I just wasn't crazy about him in this. And I, I mean, I like Chris Pine just fine. Um, I I don't know. I just think there's. I mean, I would rather see like Scoot McNary play this part. I guess I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. I just didn't. I just didn't buy it. Well, I don't know why. It's hard for me to see them as brothers, though. Like they, sh- they have to be close to the same age, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's okay. I mean, I like their interplay. I know Tom had said he really loved the way that their relationship worked. Um, I don't know. What I, what I loved is uh, I thought Ben Foster was fantastic in this, and it was is another example of why Ben Foster is, uh, you know, just is an amazing actor. I love the guy. I love watching him work, uh, and he is. There is like he's kind of set up as the guy in the heist movie you're not supposed to bring along because he's a psycho and he'll do something yeah, he's rash, the Wayne, reckless. He's the Wayne grow, yeah. But uh, here they they temper that so well. Uh, the moment when he looks into the, the, the room where, where their mother died and he's he's tearing up thinking about having been in prison and not being around her, you got the sense that he was a, a part of this family and he loves his family and and the the kind of gradual reveal that his plan is to basically sacrifice himself yeah. so that his brother yeah. can 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 care for his family because he's coming from a place where he couldn't care for his family he couldn't care for his own mother and his brother when he was in prison so he's willing to basically throw his life away to ensure that his brother doesn't feel the way he felt and i love how foster plays with that and i especially love how foster uses He's got really beautiful blue eyes, and and I love how he will hide them behind the glasses at very strategic moments. And I think he and Mackenzie kind of know 
when to make it look like he's hiding behind his glasses. And that last moment where they go their separate ways, he allows his eyes to tilt over the, the glasses and to make contact with uh, Chris Pine's eyes. And that's, you know, that's that's a, that's a basic actor thing. You know, let's make the scene where we actually make eye contact. But I just Ben Foster does that so well, and then they, they say goodbye, and they says, "Hey, you know what? Fuck you, Toby." You know that that's his ending. <laughs> that he wants to go out on a little gruff yeah. note. Um, and and I am not like what I loved about Chris Pine in this is I think this is another example where an actor who may not necessarily be great working with an actor who is great gets lifted up to that actor's level. I feel, and I think that Ben Foster just did. Amazing job of making Chris Pine even better. Just they worked together so well. Chris Pine is is fine, but I've you know I just thought him. It, it was one of those generous performances I think where Ben Foster did a great job selling what Chris Pine was doing and yeah. making Chris Pine's job easier. Uh, so that by the time we get to Chris Pine and, and Jeff Bridges on the on the porch at the end, and if you were to just look at that scene in isolation. You know, Chris Pine is just kind of sitting there being cool, and you're not entirely sure what he's thinking. But he and Ben Foster have built up so much kind of backstory for that that final scene, and a lot of that was was Ben Foster's doing. Um, and I loved too that Ben Foster was not, you know, Kelly's impression of Ben Foster, which is hilarious and works entirely for movies like the Warcraft movie. He he wasn't talking that way. Like he no. had a whole vocal style Texas that he worked straw, out for yeah. this character, which I loved. <laughs> and I loved too how. How kind of greasy and unshaven uh, yeah. and just messy-haired they look. I love how David McKenzie sort of dirtied them up a little bit. Uh, there is one moment where he does the Kelly Wan voice um, that made me kind of giggle a little bit. Well, yeah, he can't. I mean, that's his natural way of speaking. Yeah, that's my natural voice, too. What was, what was the moment? Was it one that we it, would remember? It's the moment in the robbery where, like, the are you going to take my gun? The old man has the gun. He's like, I have a gun. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so made me laugh a little bit, but I, you know, I, I, I just, I, I think I just disagree because I think Chris Pine does his own work in this, um, and I think he does just fine on his own. And I, you know, Ben Foster might be sitting in the background of that scene where he's talking to the lawyer, and I think Chris Pine's doing all the fine work, and and Ben Foster's sitting back there just glaring. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. I think Ben Foster's an excellent actor. I just don't, you know. I, I just don't agree. I mean, he's, I don't he's playing that he's elevating Chris Pine. I think Chris Pine's doing fine on his own. He's playing a character who has nothing to lose and doesn't care if he lives. So that's going to look like he's coasting, maybe if you're used to his other performances and similar keys. Well, well I a... do love that moment where the two brothers are telling each other that they love each other, and I like that moment right afterward uh, where yeah. they have to subvert that because that's what men do. Um, but he's not lovable at all, and I really like that. Like they didn't try to soften his edges. Well, and there's a weird, uh, like the reckless. Okay, how did you guys feel about the way that David McKenzie and Taylor Sheridan portrayed Texas and a lot of people in Texas being armed? I loved it. I thought that was ridiculous. What? I thought that was great. I thought that was. That's, I thought that was completely. I thought that was completely too cartoonish. A joke. Yeah, of course. I think that your portrayal of it in the Opsis was spot on. I mean, it's ridiculous that they're all just suddenly out there. I mean, that was like a moment from the Blues Brothers. Yeah, I think that's how those guys are, though. I don't know. It was just the wrong bank, and it was like the fifth. It was the fifth Midland Bank. Like maybe everyone was just like, "All right, fuck it, we're gonna like." There's some vigilanteism going on. Uh, David McKenzie is, I believe, 
Scottish, uh, at least English. She's not an American. Uh, and I got the sense – I loved the bit with the old man having a gun at yeah. the first robbery. That right there sold for me this idea that, hey, if you're going to rob a bank in Texas, there are going to be unique challenges you might not face robbing a bank in, say, San Francisco. Uh, but the, the way it is shot when they come out of that robbery gone wrong – the way it is shot, I kind of think David McKenzie it, – it, it looks like something in a Coen Brothers movie or David yeah. said like Blues Brothers. It's like David McKenzie wants to make this kind of over-the-top statement that every, all the townspeople have a gun. And furthermore, the way he shoots this line of pickup trucks like choreographed in a straight line, perfectly distanced from each other, trailing along behind their shot-up truck, it, it's like suddenly there was this organized posse of – Texas Ranger Citizen Junior Squad uh, posse, you know, chasing them. Like I thought it was shot as if it was a joke, uh, and I feel like that was a little bit too much. And it's one of my – I think there are a, f- a few too many of these weird little hitches like that, like the what don't you want waitress. Like that really Ugh. felt like out of a, a Cohen yeah. And I understand it, it, they were probably attached to it because it's funny. But I really don't feel that it belonged in there, and I kind of feel the same way. Because they're locals, too. She wouldn't say that to them. Well, I feel the same way about the crazy portrayal of, hey, everybody in this town has a gun. Now, I don't doubt, by the way, that that might happen, but the way it would unfold would not be nearly as elegant or as choreographed as Mackenzie shoots it. It would be a mess. Um, I think – go ahead. Well, one of the things that I liked about it is that what leads up to it is that they – is people start dying in the bank, and it does. They're not phased by it either. Like two people get shot in the head, or one guy gets shot in the head, and then the security guard gets killed. And like all those people are like, they still chase them. Although then they turn around all at the same time too. But I think if if Foster had shot one of the civilians, then I think I would have liked that a little more. Like then it's just a free for all. Like a bunch of random shits happening. Well, he does. He definitely does not fire over their heads. You know, when he no, gets he people out, he is firing directly into them. And uh, there, it's 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 weirdly murderous, right. uh, and I don't doubt this character would do it, but Mackenzie really does. You know, the guys all dive for cover, and yeah. it's a little like, ooh. I mean, I it just felt a little cavalier the way yep. that it was the the way that he was trying to make this point about when you rob a bank in Texas, random people are going to have guns, damn it. So it's going to be so bring a machine unfold. gun, and then they'll turn around. Well, I love docilely. I love the word the word cavalier is I think absolutely spot on, Tom. And, and and that's kind of along the lines of how I feel like this. I guess I would I would have used the word glib for how this movie deals with like the banking kind of thing. Yeah, let's talk about that. So how what what did you feel like about? And Dingus, I'm guessing this also annoyed you. So obviously he's wanting to make some sort of a, a socio political point, right. uh, which by the way is is particularly trenchant in Certainly the, is. Uh, the election. Yeah. Uh, so how did you feel about the point that was being made, that was being attempted to be made? Uh, what, what was you guys take away from this? Who, me? Either of you. Dingus, I'm guessing it didn't. Well, I, 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 watching from overseas. Kind of contrived, but... I thought it was contrived. I thought it was really ham-handed. I, I mean, I thought it was overbearing. This whole, like... Midland Banks did this. They took this from us. Oh, that's a guy. That looks like a guy who would uh, foreclose on someone. Yeah, else. yeah. How about that, one? that yeah. guy? It's like he's been briefed on what the movie's supposed to be about. Yeah, <laughs> it reminded me of in Bad Boys Two when Martin Lawrence and Will Smith they have like an RV or something. They're about to smash through this shanty town and where people live, and then 
uh, Martin Lawrence saw like, don't worry, they're drug dealers. And so then they just like smash through all these families' houses. But it's like, okay, no, they have it coming. You think they did that in an RV? <laughs> Was that yeah. a Hummer, if I'm not mistaken? Whatever nerd. But yeah, I know what you're talking Whatever about. Whatever vehicle yeah. nerd. And that's, it's called a favela. The, what, the, the little, shantytown? Yeah, it wasn't it like supposed to be in, uh, I forget what that Or the RVs of Favela brand. No, the, <laughs> at any rate, yeah, so, uh, the, uh, so. I like them with hummus. <laughs> what were you saying? Oh. Uh, so the, the political point here, and this, uh, I, I, I kind of wish that it had stuck to one of them because yeah. there were a few just, just lines that were a little bit too on the nose that didn't quite fit together, like this idea that, you know, we were the Native Americans, and now you, the poor, the Native Americans, and the government stealing from you, and and the uh, and then he actually points at the bank. He goes, and now they didn't do it with the armies; they did it like this. Uh, and he points, and the camera does this focus on the Midland Bank. Oh, come on! But now, see, I don't, I don't, yeah, and and I, I wouldn't mind a, if they want to make a movie that's romanticizing bank robbers. Who are reacting against foreclosure? That's that's fine, but to then have everybody like as a Greek chorus commenting on it, right. you know, that when they go in to question Katie Mixon, although I did love that scene by the way, mm-hmm. where she refused to give up her tip because she's going to feed her daughter. I I love me some oh, pissed right. off Katie Mixon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, she, but then yeah, it, I, I don't like her being dismissed as sassy later on by him. I want to just punch him in the face. No, not even just not just sassy thing. I think he calls her like a big old sassy woman or something like that. Yeah, big sassy girl. I thought that was that, yeah. was, that was hilarious. Um, but when they they also when when they come in, the the one guy says something about. Like one of the the witnesses says something about, uh, you know that that they robbed that bank over there that's been robbing us for thirty odd years. Or, or, like it, it. Oh, I love that table of dudes. I mean, that that's one of those those as opposed to that waitress you were talking about earlier. That that lead dude at that table when right. he was saying it was he, he's saying like good luck with getting those tips from her. Good luck with that. But but also the things that he was actually saying to him, I really like that. Well, that 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 there was an example though where you know he says we we watched that bank getting robbed. It's been robbing me for thirty years. Yeah. That that again, that's like everybody's a Greek chorus for this point that uh, I think Taylor Sheridan is trying to make in this script, and I just feel you know it, I also think too ultimately like if you were to really parse what's going on here, I, I think it's a healthcare movie. Right, because they go bankrupt because the mother gets mom. sick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a movie about healthcare bankrupt oh. middle Americans more than it's about foreclosures, and I'm not even sure the movie's aware of that. Uh, right, which it's I supposed to be John Q. Yeah, well, I, exactly. cer- I certainly wasn't aware of it, and I'm glad you brought that up. Well, isn't that what's being implied? Is that they couldn't that they couldn't maintain the 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 farm? He was in prison. She was sick. But they have oil on the farm. So they just needed to hold out anyway, didn't they? And well, that's why they're robbing the banks, uh, so that because they missed the deadline or something. But I just got the sense that it was because she was sick that they were basically bankrupted and couldn't pay for the, for the land. I, I don't know. Oh, okay, that that, that kind of makes brothers. sense. Because they, they're talking church. about the cows and I couldn't feed them. There's not a steak on those cows. Right. That kind of thing. Right. Um, and I did like some some of that interplay. Um, and, and I mean, it's. Uh, like I, but they wind up rich. <laughs> well, one of them. Yeah, 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 because you know, Deus ex oil. Yeah, 
I don't like that. I'm not well, sure they knew about that. the oil. I mean, that's why they needed to to make the payment. So that, I know, but I think that obscures your point. Like, if you're like, it's, it, it, I don't know. It seems like it lowers the stakes a little bit. It is a little like, weird. It's a bureaucratic thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a little. Well, I was gonna say it's a little weird that it pays off, but I guess it. Kind of the point is it doesn't pay off for you know he loses his brother in the, in the process like that's that's the price he has to pay but that was foster's plan going this route right right why don't they just insure foster oh like they got life insurance and yeah, yeah. yeah good luck <laughs> good luck getting him insured uh, that's true that's a good point uh, how do you guys how do you guys feel about jeff bridges suddenly being a magical sniper at the end I don't. Wait, yeah. that's out of, did that seem unrealistic? I mean, I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know. I hated that so much. We well, need the guy's really help hated, to do all of it. I hate it like when when a character we've seen none of this is like, no, no, I'm going to be the sniper at 500 yards. When and, this this guy who's like, like I'm a lifetime hunter, let me just take the shot. It's my gun. No, no, I'm going to do it. And he well, takes and the perfect shot right there. His partner's making fun of his shooting early on, so it's set up that he's a shitty shot. Yeah. Or maybe that he's a good shot and his partner's making Or he's taking a dive. Yeah, or, or <laughs> partner's the one holding the sniper rifle when he gets shot. I mean, I just I hated that whole like drive me up there. I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that I haven't done in the entire movie and nobody knows that I have this ability. I'm just gonna Yeah, the first guy he talks to so. be a sniper. Or can't and can help. Yeah, I didn't mind that at all because you know, maybe he is a good shot. And and also it's just I think the point being made, he was just genuinely affected by his partner's death. Um, yeah, and, and I, that moment where his partner gets shot and he like pulls him over and like gets on top of him and goes, Burr! I hated that. So no, I like that because he he was a comic character until then. He was, I, yeah, yeah, right. I also like, uh, like I like, like ben, ben Foster's death posture. Like I, I like. There's something really yeah. gruesome <laughs> about that. Um, yeah. I do like that. Yeah, it's it's just uncomfortable to see and it's weird and it, it's. Just this sense that uh, a per, you know, he was a person, and now he's this limp doll in a weird, un, unflattering posture. It was just I like the image, Tom. The limp doll thing is really yeah. appropriate. Uh, how about uh, let's see what else? Kelly Wand, did you like the Aaron Paul appearance? What? <laughs> That's what what I thought when the guy in the green car pulls up and is looking at Ben oh. Foster and goes, "What bitch?" Yeah, <laughs> it's totally like an Aaron Paulism. I didn't. Understand I love that, that scene. scene because the guy says something like, "This is where we're supposed to show up," and I thought it was something like between the two of them. And I want, I I didn't understand that. He's like, "This is where we're supposed to be." No, I it's, love what Foster's doing in that scene. <laughs> Which is nothing. doing anything. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> it isn't. It's hilarious. And your lampoon yeah, of it is absolutely perfect because I, I couldn't understand the scene and I didn't understand what the guy was saying. He was saying something like, this is where we were supposed to be and I thought, oh, these guys were supposed to show up together and then the other guy's like, oh, he had it coming, he had it coming. I didn't understand that scene at all. Well, they're just they're, they're just dickheads. Just it's a, a couple of dickheads. I don't know if you know this thing. Is Texas is full of dickheads. I mean, they're not all dickheads, but there's a lot of them down there. But he there. says something like, this is where we were supposed to be. And then he throws the gun off. You remembered the gun. It seemed like this was part of like a larger construct. And then no, he, he's talking about he's talking about when the guy, when the old man had the gun. Oh, I see. And, and he didn't, and he didn't gun. take right. it from him. Uh, but yeah, they were they were just jerks that pulled up. You know, it's like when you walk into a... a bar in a movie and someone's an asshole to you so you can get into a bar fight and you know yeah. it's like that kind of scene we have to see chris pine beat someone up on behalf of his brother 
it does remind me of that weird inciting thing at the gas station in John Wick where they yeah. pull up to the to the gas station right. like, well, how much for this bitch, you know. But they had a relationship in that movie, and in this it's a purely random event, I think. Well, they had a relationship that developed, and in this case, this Based on Foster guys are just thrown away. Asleep. Yeah. Yeah, they're infuriated by that. But I like that. Like it was the it it's so non set up. And Kelly Wan, did you think uh, Ben Foster was having sex with a, a prostitute? Is that what you thought was going on in that scene? No, it was the hotel cashier. Oh, very good. Okay, good. Okay, good. You knew she was a professional. I'm only dumb during the opsis, usually. Um, how did you guys feel about the music in this movie? Oh, I love me some Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Yeah. Those guys can do no wrong. They should score every movie. Do you, yeah. do you have an objection to it? Uh, are you talking about the music that was like people singing songs and – Songs that were playing where lyrics are being sung. Is that the Nick Cave stuff? Because I didn't. No, no, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. They're uh, they did assassination of Jesse James, a proposition. Right, and I know Warren who they Ellis. are. I just it, there are a number of songs that were just so on the nose. I mean, there's like I'm not afraid to die or something. I mean, I thought that the music, the the music they're listening to in the radio or the actual like songs playing, not the score music, that songs playing again. There's so many things in this movie that I hated that were so obvious about it, and one of those things were those were those songs that were being chosen. And what's weird for me is like for an emo movie like Juno, I'm fine with those kinds of things. And for some reason with this, with it's like I don't, I'm okay with dying now. Is that that's the song that you're playing? Well, I'm looking at Ben Foster's face. I'm like, come on, can you give me a little subtlety at all? Is there going to be any subtlety here? Uh, I really hated the that that element of the music, but not the score. The score is fine, but but the but the actual like song songs in this movie I couldn't stand. Jeff Bridges didn't like the Christian rock that that got played when they turned around for the the robbery. So there's that. He he was he was with you on that, Dingus. Yeah, he's like, oh really, this one. I really liked Heidi Soulsman a lot. She's the she played Ra- Ranger Margaret at the end when he comes in and. He's talking to her at her desk. I thought that was a silly scene, but I loved her. I loved that. I loved that actress so much. Uh, yes. Do we know her from something? Um, I don't know that I know her from anything. I know I've seen her in a couple of things, but I don't know what. But I just loved her in that scene where, where she's. I, I don't know why she has to hand over the file to him, but he's like, "Do you, do you like the desk?" And she's like, "It's." Yeah, I don't dislike it. <laughs> I was kind of like, "Hey, why couldn't we have had more of her earlier in the movie?" <laughs> yeah, I really like partner. I really liked her a lot. Um, Wait, it should be her and the Indian, and not Bridges. Wait, what about Katie Mixon, Kelly Wand? Okay, she's his partner, and then that's his other partner. <laughs> Wait, that's what? I've I've lost your your arrangement of the police department's getting a little confusing here, Kelly Wand. I'm just making deal with what <laughs> I have. Also, I don't get this whole idea that he's going to sit outside the T Bone Cafe all night long, and then the next morning he's going to be like, you know, I didn't think about this. We're actually going to go over to this other place. <laughs> they definitely needed to. They were definitely leaning very heavily on some convenient movie coincidences. Yeah, yeah. So the, no, they're cops of intuition. Oh, is that how that works? Like women. Yeah, cops are like women. Take the mix in no green beans. <laughs> huh. 
Oh, guys. <laughs> well, Kelly Watt, uh, what do you think of the 3 by 3 Dingus is perpetrating on us? Uh, I was not pro it. I was... Con it. Con it. The con uh, How about that? How do you feel about air? Love it. I love being with air. Are you pro so air? Yeah, I'm pro air. Okay. Um, anti um face offs. So, uh, Dingus, I don't know how much the cops are going to be on patrol here. I don't know, uh, but there might be trouble. I'm just letting you know. We can con Dingus. Uh, well, let's find out. So, Dingus, explain what is this week's three by three? Why have you chosen it? What? What's going on here? All right, this is your your favorite cons in movies. So, confidence games. Uh, you know, classically we talk we think about con men, but uh, women certainly are uh, are involved in this type of confidence game. So, it's a it can be a long con, it can be a short con. Uh, so, it's basically somebody trying to uh, swindle somebody. So. These are my favorite cons, and the reason I chose this is because the one of the movies we just saw recently um, turns out to be a movie about uh, a long con, but um, a long con that has like three different layers to it, and it's not the it's not the movie I thought. I didn't think when we were watching that movie that it was going to turn out to be a movie about a con. And wait, when uh, Doctor Strange conned Dormammu, is that what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. That was. Uh, and he conned him over and over and over again for billions of years, as you mm. told us. It's a long uh, con. Uh, but I, I love that. And, you know, it's a little difficult to talk about this because one of the joys about these movies uh, that have uh, a con in them um, is is discovering the fact that that's what the movie is. Uh, but many movies just have, like, little cons in them or long cons in them. And so I, I just I just love movies that understand how to make those little things or those long-range things work. Which is why my number three pick, uh, I'm reluctant to talk too much about it. I didn't care so much for this movie, but I loved the con that was in it. And I don't – Dingus, you were asked earlier in the week whether or not – if these had to be for money. And none of mine are for money. So all of mine are, are not your traditional yeah. swindles. Uh, so I don't know if there's going to be trouble here or not. I'm just warning you, Dingus, there might be trouble. But one well, of my I'm, – I'm glad you – let me just interrupt you real quick because uh-huh. Chris Markinson is the one who asked that question, uh, and I didn't quite know how to answer it. Uh, and what made me nervous about it was the idea of this being sort of that Venn diagram with revenge. That uh, that the con might be overlapping with a wrench, and I think I should have thought of that beforehand. Um, so uh, I remember trying to field that question and really not being able to. So I'm kind of excited to see where you go with this, Tom. Hmm. One of mine is actually this one is arguably revenge, but it's That's, it's the revenge is less interesting than the actual plot that is like in here. Sith. Um, like in what? Like in Sith. All right, Kelly Wong was the first one to bring up Star Wars in this podcast today. Wasn't me. All right, not ding. me. Uh, there's a movie that Joel Edgerton wrote and directed and starred, co-starred in with Jason Bateman called The Gift. And my favorite thing about The Gift is watching Jason Bateman do a completely 100% serious performance because he's really good. And I like watching him do that sort of thing. Uh, and I like where his character goes. And he's never doing his his smug straight man slash comedic act in The Gift. And that's really refreshing to watch. Uh, 
Joel Edgerton, on the other hand, I'm not entirely sure what he's doing with his character, but it really is. I defy you to watch The Gift and not imagine that Joel Edgerton is doing a Conan O'Brien impression because <laughs> he looks like Conan O'Brien. He's got Conan O'Brien's hair. He's, it's, a, it's totally like The Gift is basically what if Conan O'Brien was someone that you knew when you were kids and you grew up and you ran into him one day and now he wants to be your friend and hang out with you all the time. Uh, but – the, the con that we eventually discover that Joel Edgerton's character is perpetrating on Jason Bateman, uh, super implausible, super contrived, but I loved the idea of it. And as a script that Joel Edgerton has written, even if I wasn't crazy about the movie, uh, I think it's a really interesting concept for a con, and I don't want to give it away because that's – uh, kind of the point of the movie, so it's not about money. Let's just say money is not involved. Uh, so I don't know how to say. Should I just say it and then tell people not to plug their ears and go la la la? Yeah, I think I was, you I was doing that anyway all the time, <laughs> but not for that reason. The con. All right, if you have not seen the gift and you, I again, I'm not that crazy about it. I don't necessarily recommend it, but the con is that he is going to somehow find a way to. Jason Bateman's with uh, and it's super weird, super elaborate, uh, and it's just a really odd idea for a con uh, that I'd never really seen before. It's super creepy. So there you go. My number three pick, The Con and the Gift. You can so, now so, – you can na- oh, no, it's not at all. Uh, you can now uh, listen because I will no longer be spoiling stuff from The Gift. Instead, I'll be handing it over to Kelly Wan for his third favorite con in a movie. Hooray! <laughs> Finally, something interesting. Hooray! Hi, number three best con in movies. Um, this might get me pulled over, but I really liked a number. Kelly Wan, just so you know, I'm driving. If Dingus was gonna like, I didn't get pulled over for that one. Just so you know. But I think he was he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> it's kind of like when you're speeding. As long as you're not the last car speeding, you're right. Safe. You're following traffic. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I'm not going to spoil the movie. I'm not going to tell you what happens. So you can't. One of us gets pulled over for speeding, Kelly. One. It's going to be you because you're behind me. So oh, it's always where I want to be. My number three. Oh, in Mission Impossible number one. My favorite con in that is when Tom Cruise. Wait, what's the uh, French guy's name? Jean Renault. Jean Renault. Renault. Jean Renault. Uh, he's, he's on your bumper, Kelly Wand. Which one's the French guy in that one? Oh, good. I thought you. I was in trouble for because you don't consider this. Oh one. no, your 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 registration's out of order. There's going to be so many things. Go ahead. So um, there's like a floppy disk that has the knock list on it. And uh, Jean Renault's, they steal it at great uh, painstaking toil from the CIA. And then Jean Renault's all, hey, I'm going to take it. What's to keep me from just taking it from you? And then Tom Cruise is all, oh, you think this is the real one? And he, like, makes it disappear in a magic trick with his hand. And then, it's in the this trash is my favorite can, thing. And there's a Bible. Yeah, yeah. He throws it in the trash can, but before he throws it in the trash can, he does the magic trick again. He does it twice. He's like, oh, wait, where'd it go? And then he pulls it out of John Renault's ear. I'm like, oh. 
I want to change my favorite con to the playing card, and now you see me too. Right? Yeah. So, is is <laughs> con is, is is three card Monty a con game? Actually, it is. Ah, Don't you think? Yeah. So that's basically what he's doing: is sleight of hand. No, but he's suggesting. Well, the thing oh, is, no, no, it's Dingus, the real is, one. Dingus is vindicating you. Don't no, no. I, I'm saying that. You, I mean, this might as well be you know Obi Wan like doing I, his his uh, non fake physical gesture. Dingus, that's my like, number yeah. one. Oh, way to scoop me. Oh, uh, so con the stormtroopers. <laughs> he con Vader too because he said I'm gonna become even more powerful, and he didn't. Become I refuse powerful. to talk about Star Wars in this podcast. Just so you guys know. Well, Kelly Wand opened the floodgates, so now we get to talk about it. Not me. I'm gonna ignore Star I Wars the for the rest of the podcast. I open the hangar bay doors. <laughs> uh, so that's my number three. Uh, when Tom Cruise uh, uses magic to trick a Frenchman twice. And I have no away. recollection of what you're talking about, but uh, I uh, recently watched a documentary. I never do that. I do it maybe once Uh-oh. every five years. So the no, I've actually seen two this year. So I watched a documentary called De Palma. Uh, is it called De Palma? It's basically just uh, listening to Brian De Palma talk for ninety minutes, and it's great. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's a great bit where he talks about shooting Carlito's way. And ah. they're, they're shooting in – it's like August in Chicago or whatever, and it's super hot, and he's got Al Pacino in his like leather jacket, and they're doing just a running scene on these subways. And he's having to, it's, it's, it, it, you know, they're having to line up the two subway cars, and he's just having Al Pacino just running and running and running, and then they have to reset the cars, and Al Pacino runs and runs and runs again, wearing this big heavy coat that he's wearing, and he's just like sweating like a pig, and his face is just all red, and Palma's like, no, another take. And Pacino's having to run and run and run, and then they reset the trains again. At one point, De Palma's like, uh, he's calling to reset the trains, and he says, you know, one of the trains isn't there. And it's just uh. gone missing. He's got one train in position, so he gets on his, his, his like AD. He's like, "Where's the other train?" And the AD is like, "Patino just said fuck it and told the train to take him home." <laughs> <laughs> so Patino like told the guy, "Just turn the train around and take me back to uh, my." Ah, uh, that's pretty country. good. And the yeah. guy did it. He yeah, the guy did it. Patino yeah. just shanghaied one of the trains because okay. he was running. Uh, so that sounds a little bit like Harrison Ford like, just shooting somebody because he had diarrhea. I mean, you can't just commandeer a train. Well, it, it you can't. What you can do is is walk off of a, s- a set. Yeah. Like, and I think right. it's Pacino just telling the guy who's operating the train, "I'm I'm not shooting anymore. You know, take me back to base camp." How does the conductor know where Al Pacino lives? There's no conductors on subways, Kelly. Oh, actually, there are. Never mind. Yeah. He just tells the train, and it's a, like a Johnny Cab, and it takes him home. Take me home, like Siri. So I'm guessing it takes you to a what's called a base camp. I once was on a movie and thought they were done with me and and you're supposed to get in a van when you're done and it drives you back to the trailers and i didn't want to bother anyone so i thought they were done with my scene because i was just standing around it's oh, like the first professional job i'd worked on because i'm just like standing around i think they're done with me and i didn't want to bother anyone so like I, i'll just go back to my trailer and hang out there i've got a book or something i can read so i just walked way all the way back to my trailer um and by the time I got back, one of the ADs was there, and he was like, where have you been? They're waiting on you because it took me like 15 minutes. And I was like, I didn't know you guys needed me. You didn't. He's like, you never walk off the set unless you're, you're told that it's okay. So he bumped uh. me back in the van, and he took me back to where they were shooting, and the director was there. And the director was like, who told you you could leave the set? And I was like, I just thought I could. He – once he found out no one had told me, it kind of diffused his fury because he was wanting to get someone in trouble, and I was just a dumb actor who didn't know any better. That he needed. I, I what? 
He needed you to. Oh, right. He needed me, but he couldn't get the talent in trouble is the thing. And there's this dumb thing about how actors are treated. I was the one. He was hoping that someone had let me go early so that he could unleash his fury on that person. And when I said, oh, no one told me. I just was going back to my trailer. He was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll get him. Is that the time you went into Christian Bale's eyeline? Because I remember hearing about that online. Christian, Christian Bale's eyeline? What? I don't know what that is. When he yelled at you? On the oh, right, right, right. When I was shooting Terminator Genesis, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> no salvation. Salvation. How could I forget Terminator yeah, Genesis? Is the one, right, I uh, where Jason Clark turned into a monkey, I believe. Yeah. All right, enough. <laughs> All right. Why do we get there? All right. So Carlito's way. Alpatino. Star Wars again. Nope. Not talking about Star Wars. Chewbacca. Instead, I'm going to ask Dingus his third favorite con in a movie. All right, uh, this is a quote from it, uh, and it's um, also a Jason Bateman movie. Uh, and here's the quote from it. Uh, it's called A Hustle, Sweetheart. Oh, uh, the spelling bee ones. A, B, bad words, bad words. Nope. Yes, it it's, is. It's bad words. It's bad words. Three is bad words. It's not. It's uh, – all of mine are uh, – I mean, I love this topic because I just love cons so much. And it's a little disingenuous to say you love your own topic. Um, but uh, these are all shorts. Uh, and this is from a movie called, that we saw this year called Zootopia. And uh, this is from early on. <laughs> it's not a movie. It's a cartoon, but go ahead. Jesus. Um, when, uh, when, it's a documentary about a city. When they do the popsicle con. Uh, I, I love the popsicle con in Zootopia. What was the Popsicle Con again? I vaguely remember something about Popsicle. Is it like Mickey Rourke's Popcorn Con? All right, so they're going in to buy um, – Kelly, why don't you just scooped my number two? Oh, oh really? Oh, <laughs> that was a con. All right, they're, they're going in to buy what now? What's they're going deal? in to buy a Popsicle, but uh, but they're not allowed – but it, there's kind of this weird sort of racism element about it. Because these are all elephants, and they, and this is these are little guys, and oh, we don't have enough money for it. And I just wanted to buy that super Popsicle for my for my little one here. And, um, and she's, this is her first day on the job and she, she's like, no, no, you have to serve these people. I'll pay for their, and they take it off and then they, they melt it down. They put it into a lot of little different popsicles and then they sell it to the lemmings, um, one by one and make a bunch of money off of it. And so it's that, it's their con of, of getting her to buy them this huge popsicle, melting it down off of the roof of this building putting it into these little molds uh, and then selling it to the lemmings as they get off of their ship. How is that not entrepreneurship instead of a con? Uh, that's a good point, Trump. <laughs> Do you let him get away with that, Kelly Wan? Did you hear what he just called me? I'm going to lock him up. Lock him up. Crooked dingus. <laughs> my number the wall, make Tom pay for it. <laughs> my number two favorite con in a movie – uh, is for something I watched recently, and I don't. I just this is just still so fresh on my mind because I had so much fun watching this again. Um, Anna Kendrick is on a debate team, and she knows that in a little bit she's going to be transferring to another school, and oh, naturally sure. she'll want to be on the debate team on that at that school. So before she lets anyone know that she knows she's transferring, she hires the worst possible person <laughs> to be her debate partner. So that when she leaves, he is one of the people against whom she will be competing at the States. Like he will be representing the school that she has just left. Uh, and the movie is Rocket Science, and the, the lead character uh, is an actor named Reese Thompson, and it's told from his perspective. And he has a stutter, 
and she early on, as she calls it, ferrets him out as someone who would be perfect for debate, and she talks him into being on debate team, and he gets a huge crush on her, and his heart is utterly broken when he finds out that she was just using him, so he throws a cello through a window, which is uh. an awesome scene. Um, but my favorite con is, is cute little Anna Kendrick. It's like her first movie, and she's so adorable because she's not a, an adult yet. She's just cute little high she school She could never girl. con me. Well, that was her whole deal is to seed the debate team with the worst possible debater and then uh, uh, win against him at, at the States. I just, you know, super nice, super cute little Anna Kendrick doing a terrible con like that. So am I going to that's that's a con right Dingus? No, like I love that. By I think, Sandra Bullock. I love that. That's a really uh, a really creative way to deal with the topic. I like that. And it's a con that involves a cello being thrown through a window, which is always a good Like thing. in Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in far too long. I love Rocket Science so much. Rocket Science is and I can't wait Jeffrey Blitz, the guy who did it has a movie called Table 19 coming out, I think. Oh, what? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a, a from what little I know about it, I haven't seen a trailer, and I forget who's. Oh, it might be du, it might be Mark Duplass is in it. For some reason, there's at least one or two people in it I really want to see. But Jeffrey Blitz, who did a documentary called Spellbound, and then he did Rocket Science, uh, has a movie called Table 19 coming out in March about at a wedding, uh, the the like table of misfits where all the people who nobody likes huh. get put. Uh, <laughs> it is something like that. I don't know if it's that nobody likes them, but it's the worst. It's I'm the table always you, at that table. Yeah, exactly. It's the table at a wedding where you don't want to be seated. So yeah. I, I Against the far wall. Oh, yeah. I like that so much. Oh, man, I was just at a wedding when that happened. Oh, I like that so much. Oh, man, uh, love, I, I still remember the first time seeing Rocket Science. I'm being so pleased by it. Yeah. So happy with it. Um, it, it holds up, but you're just really keenly aware of, of when Anna Kendrick changes schools, of her being missing through a huge swath of the movie. It's like, yeah. oh, don't don't send little Anna Kendrick off. <laughs> Leave her in the movie longer. Uh, you miss her. But, you know, it lets you – it sort of gives you a, a, an insight into the main character's emotions as well. All right. The second favorite con in a movie for you, Kelly Wand, would be – and now you fill in the blank. It's funny you use that analogy because my number two is Wild Things. Because um, uh, I remember thinking the, same, the thing Dinga said about The Handmaiden where – he was excited because it was Asian porn, and he didn't realize it was going to be a con movie, too. Dingus said that. Dingus, are, putting, you, are you comfortable with being quoted? No. I'm for putting, one, I avoided saying the second thing because I would like people to discover them for themselves, and for the first, I never said that either. <laughs> well, so Dingus also said it about wild things, I think, too. So <laughs> It was Asian porn? Yeah, he was excited because it was Asian porn, but then he gets the added pleasure the stimulation of it turning out to be a con movie. What is – so in a James Bond movie, I could never tell you like what the villain's plan is. Denise what, Richards is a villain in a James Bond movie too. She's not a villain. She's Christmas Jones. Christmas, it's it's Christmas. Christmas, yeah. Christmas can't yeah, be but, a villain. That's true, but she's testing nukes, so you can't. She's, uh, uh, Kelly Wan, what is the con? Explain to me what – who is trying to do what to whom in Wild Things? Can you do that uh, so blindsided by Denise Richards' breasts? That's the thing. She's the con artist. Okay. She's like, she, uh, she says that Matt Dillon's character raped her, and then it turns out that she, she and Dave Campbell uh, 
fail on the stand and then he turns out to be innocent. So then he gets a lawsuit paid to him out of her trust fund by her parents. But she's in on it because then she can get the money earlier because she wouldn't be able to touch it sooner. Oh, so no one's betrayed. It's just a way that they're they're getting money out of a trust fund? Well, yeah, because they have to pay him off in a lawsuit because they ruin his life, but he's in on it. But he gets money for it, and she gets, gets some the money, money as well? It. Yeah, and then they get a boat, and then Bill Murray's the lawyer in it. And but nobody then, betrays anyone? This sounds like so a she just point. gives him a cut? Then? They're conning her parents, which is Robert Wagner and Teresa Russell, into having to pay him the lawsuit money. Nobody murders anyone? Well, then later they fall out and everyone starts murdering everybody. Oh, okay. Okay. Finally, Elaine, if Campbell's left with the big boat, because Matt Dillon wants a big boat. But that's like, you don't, you only find this out like halfway through the movie, because up till then, it's you're not sure what kind of movie it is. Right. And you find out that it's a con with the threesome. Because you go, oh, these characters all hate each other. And Matt Dillon goes to an, uh, a motel in Florida, and he sees Denise Richards behind him. And you go, oh, she's there to kill him. But then Dave Campbell shows up, and they all start having sex. It's really great. Dingus, are you as surprised as I am that Kelly Wand is so lucid about the finer plot points of Wild Things? It's a genius movie. I am surprised. I didn't think he would be able to uh, hold forth on that. Yeah. Well done. Kelly. There's like twists all the way through the in the end credits. They're still giving you. They're still telling you like little twists and stuff. What? What's your What's your favorite Teresa Russell movie, Kelly Wand? Black Widow. Yeah. Or, uh, you're right. The, that, okay. You're right. You don't yeah. have to say anything else. You're right. Kelly Wand, you like won Dingus's quiz. The one where Nicholas Rogue, where she's like 19, and it's like a gold claim movie in Alaska. I think it's called The Claim or something. No, that's a that's a Michael Winterbottom movie. She's brunette in it. I like that one. The Claim is Mila Jovovich. The one where no, it's Black Widow. You were right. You your first answer Deborah was Winger. right. Black, yeah. And that's then my she, favorite. Deborah Winger didn't want to have to kiss her and what's like eating garlic so that she would that's a con movie too because she keeps conning dudes and marrying her yeah yeah and and she like she kills it she kills a dude by putting um penicillin in his toothpaste yeah too. dennis hopper's one of them wait what she puts penicillin in your toothpaste will kill you toothpaste. if yeah. you're allergic to penicillin ah okay i loved that movie and i love it too basically i, love I really i was crazy about uh uh Teresa Russell at that time. Yeah, me too. And they go snorkeling. Did you say you loved the cinematographer of Black Widow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is he it? He agreed with. I don't know. He just knew <laughs> Teresa Russell. He knew how to photograph Teresa Russell correctly <laughs> to keep my interest for the whole movie. Thumbs up, nameless cinematographer whose work I admire. You're welcome. I've now promoted you. See, I give back. I remember going to see Black Widow with a friend of mine uh, and just the two of us just being crazy about the thing. Yeah, she's great. That's her best movie. Uh, Cinematographer Conrad Hall. He's worked uh, with with, – he's like American Beauty and whatnot. Where did he shoot recently? Oh, I watched – yeah, well, never mind. Uh, Who selected uh, uh, Bob Raffleson of Five Easy Pieces fame? Oh, okay, Bob Raffleson. All right. Oh, see – he knew what to do with Civil Shepherd, too. Or wait, that was Bogdanovich. Okay, forget it. <laughs> Dingus, second favorite con <laughs> in a movie. It doesn't have to involve money. Just so you well, know. 
it does involve money. It specifically involves money, and it is another short con. Um, and it is the litmus, litmus configuration in Midnight Run, um, uh, where the two guys go into uh, Red's bar, and they con Red's bar out of their $20 bills. Uh, not 100s, because that's the government's money, as you know, and those can be tracked. Um, but they con them out of $20 bills by pretending to be FBI agents. It's just a short con, uh, but I love that little con. What's the effect Cotto's name in that movie? Uh, I don't know, but I would tell you that I'm Mosley. <laughs> tell me what, now you ask Dingus of Midnight Run trivia, trivia question. Who's Dennis Farina's character? His name's Guy. Oh, Dingus, is he stumping you? I, 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 will, I will say this. I have two words for you. Shut the fuck up. That nigga said is not an appropriate answer Biased. to a trivia question. He's like Fast Eddie or something, isn't that his name? He's like a mob dude, like like Fast Eddie something it's or other. Jimmy Serrano, come on. Oh, really? That's his name? He's upset at me for even asking. Oh, he knew. I think it's conned me. I thought he really didn't know. Okay. Yeah. My that is the answer to every trivia question. My uh, Jimmy Serrano. No, shut the fuck up. Oh. <laughs> my favorite con in a movie. There were so many to choose from from this guy, and I, I don't know that they're cons. This might be pushing it. Um, I wanted to pick uh, – there's a Neil LeBute movie called Some Velvet Monday on the basis that he's Morning. conning the uh, – pardon? Morning. It's not Some Velvet Monday? Some Velvet Morning. Does that sound right? I guess so. Some Velvet <laughs> Morning. I like what's happening. There's right something now. about a Monday in there. Anyway, that's right, not what I picked. I might be wrong. Sorry. Uh, I might be wrong. As well. The thing is, no, I might be wrong first. <laughs> Too bad we can't check these things before we go. I'm on the pretty internet. sure it's a bill of a morning. I, I think Dingus is probably right because that sounds more like a song lyric. I think it's from a song lyric. Uh, at any rate, this, the name didn't make any sense to me, so I didn't bother to remember it accurately. But that movie, I, I, you could say, is a con on audience, but that's not the one I want to pick. Instead, Neil LeBute is such an equal opportunity misanthropist. Uh, I just, <laughs> and I, I love that so much about him. One of my favorite cons, and it's the one that I think of when I – so when he did a movie called In the Company of Men, that was his first movie, and it was uh, Matt Malloy and Aaron Eckhart conning, I think, a, a blind woman, and it yeah. was basically yeah, about – Death. She's dead. Death, death, right, right, right. Uh, and it was, gay. I mean, <laughs> it was basically about how men are assholes, but mm-hmm. I kind of think that the companion piece – to Company of Men is a, a lesser-known movie he did uh, about 10 years ago called The Shape of Things with Rachel Weiss and Paul Rudd. And it looks like – and it's so in ways very precocious and stylistic, and you can totally tell that Neil LeBute is a, is a theater writer. Uh, some of it you might construe as clunky, but I just think it's his kind of theater stylings. But it's about a – a schlubby guy played by Paul Rudd who meets this super intelligent, beautiful uh, art student named Rachel we- – not played by Rachel Weiss, and how they start a relationship. And he's really into her, and she really kind of does a Pygmalion on him, and he loses weight, and he starts wearing his hair differently, and he starts wearing nice clothes. Uh, he stops biting his fingernails, and he even like, – like he gets a nose job even. Um, and – at one point, she then invites him near the end of the movie to uh, her her master's uh, thesis. She's a graduate student in art, and the con, and this is a spoiler, but you know this is a 
super old movie. You should have seen it by now, and if you hadn't, well, too bad. The con is that at this art project, he discovers he is the art project. She gets up in front of an auditorium and and says, you know, my art project that I've done for my thesis, it's a human sculpture. Here is a man who looked like this, and she shows a big old picture of him you know, with his glasses on and his stupid haircut, and he's a little fat. And, and she says, I completely feigned interest in him. Uh, I presented the illusion of interest and, and desire to see if I could – how much I could change him where he would make these choices of his own free will. And I don't care at all about him. You know, I didn't believe my – what he construed as dates, I thought of as, as uh, sessions or sittings, uh, and here's what I turned him into. And, and that's the reveal in the movie is that she doesn't care at all about him. Uh, and it is so just vicious and mean-spirited, and because Paul Rudd is so likable, and Rachel Weisz is so good at playing this super intelligent, calculating just bitch. Uh, and their final scene where he's like, why did you do this to me, and did you really not have any feeling? She just plays it like so cold and cruel, and it's so – it's such vintage labute. Uh, he's just so mean-spirited with this movie, and it's so mythanthropophia, whatever. It's such an example of mythanthropy. Uh, and it ends, by the way, with Paul Rudd – and this is devastating – in mid-sob, basically. <laughs> and, it's just, and then it, it cuts out. Uh, Kelly Wand, it, I would think Shape of Things is a Kelly Wand movie. Have you seen that? Sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, I haven't. Uh, but if you're against animatronics, then you're misanthropomorphic. Not well, just animals being portrayed as humans. You mean like that could work? Or, no, just anti the Lincoln animatronic guy at Disneyland. Oh, uh, okay, I will accept that. Although I think you should put the word. Okay, so Confederate. Sure. Yeah. If you're a Confederate animatronic enthusiast, you're uh, Kelly, one, have you seen Dirty Weekend? Mm, I've lived it, but haven't seen it. <laughs> Who's in that? I love like uh, Dirty so uh, some velvet. You know what? I'm going to look this up. So Dirty Weekend is is uh, Neil Labute's Le- last movie. Hold on, Neil. I hate doing this on a podcast. Labute, uh, and it's about Matthew. Imagine if Ferris Bueller grew up and had a sort of a suppressive homosexual side to him. So it, it's it's Matthew Broderick playing a, a really schlubby dude uh, who is on a business trip. And who wants to make a stop somewhere where he had a gay experience many years ago, and you know he's a happily married man, and it's just been eating away at him all these years. So he wants to go find the person with whom he had the experience, and it because it's just driving him crazy. It actually she was, uh, she's a, a transgender person. Uh, so he does this, and in tow is one of his coworkers played by Alice Eve. So it's just the two of them on this really weird, weirdly sexualized voyage of discovery. Uh, and I love Alice Eve. Yeah, Some Velvet Morning thing is you're absolutely right. Um, Sounds great. And Some Velvet Morning is just Alice Eve and Stanley Tucci. And I, it, it's I, I there were times where I hated that movie. Like you have to see the whole movie to understand whether or not you hate it or love it. Uh, and I think by the time it was over, I loved it. But Alice Eve. You know, super hot from Star Trek. Everybody yeah. remembers that. But damn, she is so good. And Neil Labute, like she is kind of uh, – uh, as De Niro is to Scorsese, I kind of think that uh, Alice Eve is to Neil Labute these days. Wow, that's bold. He just, she just really gets his material, and she just yeah. does a great job of, of translating it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's writing specifically for her with stuff like Dirty Weekend.
Yeah. Sometimes uh, I, I really like how a movie can – you can feel like this could be a play. Sometimes that doesn't work and sometimes it does, and I think it does in this case. Right, right. Uh, I yeah, yeah. I like it when hot girls get a juicy role and they can prove – see, I'm a good actress. I just keep getting pigeonholed. She's so hot in, in Dirty Weekend too. Like her, I don't even want to tell you like – I don't know what Dirty Weekend is, but – Apparently, this is a thing. I've never heard of it until I saw a Neil LeBute movie. But the idea of a dirty weekend is that whatever your kink is, you just take a weekend out to indulge it. Apparently, this is a thing because uh, they reference it in the movie as if it's actually something. And And your partner just – is it like a hall pass kind of a thing? Uh, uh, So I think if you do it like even behind your partner's back, like I don't know this. It's more like you give yourself a hall pass. For oh. something that you're ashamed of doing, I think, uh, and you just do My it. My name for Dirty Weekend is just Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> or Tuesday. Yeah. Um, Tom, you brought up Rachel Weiss earlier. Uh, have you seen Complete Unknown yet? Is that the Holocaust denial thing with Timothy Spall? No, no, no. Um, it's this uh, this weird this weird little uh, Amazon movie that she did with, um, with Michael Shannon. Uh, what? Yeah, go on. I mean, it, this, uh, it's this, and the, the director is, uh, I think, Joshua Marsden, Marston, something like that. I think he did Maria Full of Grace, but uh, but it's just oh this, wait, what? I feel like I have it, seen. What is it? Go on. It's complete unknown, and, and it's where she's playing this this character, and you bring. Oh God, I have seen it, and I didn't like it. Oh my God, I can't believe. Yeah, I've seen it. Why? Did you did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I actually, uh, you know. Uh, our friend Alexandra uh, took me to see it because she's like, you, "You're gonna like. You, I'm just gonna take you to a movie. Two people in it you really like. Do you want to know what the movie's called?" And I said, "No, just take me to it." Um, and uh, I think I think we had just seen The Lobster, like just around that time, uh, maybe that same day or something. And then all of a sudden, Rachel Weisz shows up, and I'm like, "Wait, what?" And then Michael Shannon shows up, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll sit through anything with the two of them." Um, but the idea of her in a con movie, and I'm wondering if Complete Unknown works as sort yeah, of yeah. Complete thing. Unknown is exactly the kind of performance she does in uh, in uh, Shape of Things, right? Uh, and you might even imagine it's the same character in a way. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think my hang-up with Complete Unknown was kind of the implausibility of her doing this, and then there's the weird bit about we're somehow going to tie frog science into it, yeah. which yeah. was a little confusing to me. A classic uh, part. And also for me, it was a little upsetting when we left the room because when we were in the di- when we were in the dinner party, I was like, let's just stay in here, yeah, 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 yeah. and see what happens, what unfolds here. And then when we go out to the bar, I'm like, ah, yeah, I liked the like, parlor room drama aspect of, of the, how it unfolded. That stuff was very cool. Yeah, exactly. So, it's but anyway, the, the idea of, of that when you were talking about her in in a con movie suddenly made me think of Complete Unknown because what she's doing over and over again, is basically these. Different cons. I don't like people uh, in movies trying to pull one over on Michael Shannon. I'm just not comfortable <laughs> with that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. But Alexandra was pretty much like, I could just sit here and watch him look like Michael Shannon make that face for two hours. You know what? I don't want to hear any more about Michael Shannon dingus from you or from Alexandra or from Kelly Wand until you guys see the missing person. Okay. Uh, You're all fired from this podcast until you have seen that. I will let you stay temporarily. You're- once they find him, I'll look at him. 
Kelly Wan, what's the best con in a movie? Of My number one, which I guess I don't really want to talk about too much, because if you have seen it, it's boring to hear the con in it. And if you haven't seen it, you should just see it. Yeah, which is so my number one's House of Games, obviously. Too obvious. Well, that's this is my number one too. So which? Oh my God, you guys! Which which con are you talking about? It. <laughs> the big one, the Montana uh, long. The Montana, he's the lead of the movie. So you're talking about the the movie itself. Yeah, it's the con on her because it because it like she. Uh, you know, part of it's like she's at a poker game where he appears. To, ah, I can't say. And then it sounds like Chance's pick is a is a one of the nested cons. Is it? Because mine's just the movie, I guess, and the uh, well, third act. Right. Yeah. Although I think it would have been cool if like she'd con him. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Um. Yeah. So that's my number one. I guess. It's kind of. So Dingus is yours the movie at large, or do you have something more specific? No, no. There's two really great short cons in this movie, and um, I was going to go with the with the one that's called The Flu, because uh, that's one of my favorite little scenes in the movie. Um, there, and Kelly's right. There's like a lot of little like nested cons within within the, the overall large movie, or maybe, Tom, you said the word nested. I don't know. Which one of you said it? That was um, me. I, dibs. I, got, I get credit. If, for everyone listening, I get credit for that. So, you know, basically the whole movie is dragging her into this whole large con, but, but uh, for me, I, I, I really love, I love the, the flu because it's, and then, because it's kind of teaching us what, what a con is. And David Mamet is teaching us what, what a con game is. And as he's doing this, he's sort of dragging us along and fooling us in little ways as he's fooling her, or as they are fooling Is that her. the Macy one? No. The Macy one is the one I would pick. Um, right. The flu is the one, is the very simple one, right after the poker game, where where she thinks that she's figured out that they're they're conning her because of the squirt, squirt gun. Um, and then they take her out, and they're going out to get hot dogs, get something to eat. And they're like, all right, let's show her one of our secrets. And that's where, like... Blow. Where you have the envelope. That's, that's a little, uh, as the character says, and there's a little larceny called the flu. Um, and all of this is priming her for what is going to go on later on. Um, and, and, you know, Joe Mantegna gives her, uh, a little, uh, poker chip from the House of Games. And this is like a souvenir from you, uh, getting away from the con men. Um, but the, the, the William H. Macy one is my favorite little con in the movie because of the way, the way it unfolds and also seeing this super young William H. Macy with this tight, high haircut like a Marine because he's playing a Marine trying to get back to base and Joe Mantegna taking Lindsay Krauss who is now in to say, let me be part of your world just to see what's going on because they've, they've lured her in, but she doesn't realize it. She thinks she's still on top of what they're doing, and she's just a tourist in this world. Um, and so, so Joe Mantegna's character, Mike, takes her into this Western Union office to get money, and he's teaching her how what how what a con means. And I love his little speech to her, where where he's trying where he's teaching her, but he's also conning her. But you don't know that yet. He's teaching her that you know confidence. 
a con game isn't me getting confidence from you. It's me giving you my confidence. It's me giving you my trust so that then you feel that you have to give me something back. And William H. Macy's character, this Marine, is coming into the Western Union office, and they've set up the scene in this Western Union office where they're going to get cash wired to them. And Joe Mantegna's character, Mike, keeps going up to the guy at the front and going, hey, you know, you got to tell me when my money's getting here. I've been waiting here all day. Sir, I will call you as soon as your money's available. I assure you I'll do that. He goes back and he sits down with her and he's talking to her a little bit more. And then he notices William H. Macy's like Marine dude, kind of nebbishy Marine, kind of, a, you know, if you can imagine William H. Macy as a Marine, like walking across the street with his little duffel bag. And, and he knows that's my mark. And, but he's also doing a lesson for her. This is why I love this con. As soon as he walks in the door, Mike stands up and walks just in front of him to the window again. He's like, dude, I really need this money. You have to let me know. Has it come yet? No. Okay. Sits back down. And then of course, William H. Mace's character goes up and says, um, I need a, a money order for, you know, whoever his character is. Uh, sir, it's not here yet. Okay. Well then he goes and sits down and then Mike establishes a relationship with William H. Macy's character. Uh, you know, and he finds out, Oh, William H. Macy's just trying to get back to base. All he needs is 40 bucks to get on a bus. And he goes in and says, next to him, you were in the Corps? I was in the Corps, too. When were you serving? Man, I was there. I was in 68 and 69. So he's clearly older. He's giving this idea that he was in Vietnam. And he's like, well, dude, you know, my money should be in any minute. I've been waiting here all day long. Uh, when my money comes in, you get on that bus and you just send it back to me once you get back to base. You've got to get to you've got to get back to base. Well, if the same thing happens for me, then I'm going to give you my money. Uh, well, no, you don't have to do that. You just got to get back to base. And in the, that next moment, William H. Macy's name is called. So he gets up to get his money. He's gotten his money first, but they've made this deal, this, this deal of honor, because, because Mike has given him his confidence. He said, I will give you money. He already knows he's not going to get it, but he's, he's told this guy, I'm going to give you this money if my money comes first. And so then William H. Macy's character, this honorable Marine, said, turns around and says, all right, I've got my money. How much do you need? And um, Joe Mantegna stands up with Lindsey Krauss, and he goes to the door, and he goes, don't worry about it. Keep it. Semper Fi. And he walks out. And he's, it's basically just here endeth the lesson. It's just him teaching her a lesson He's not taking the Marines' money. He could have very easily done so, but it's a con as a lesson. And so that's why I love that particular con in House of Games. Kelly Wan, you should make a citizen's arrest because Dingus' con, they didn't even get money out of it. So it apparently didn't even work. You should arrest Dingus. Go for well, it. They Did eventually they get, get money. <laughs> well, but it's part of what Kelly Wan was talking about. It's part of the longer con. It's part of teaching her, but they're also luring her in. It's It's making her feel like it's again it's the larger element of him giving her hmm. his confidence sounds like you just picked the whole movie's con dingus mm, maybe i, I well i mean, mean that i could have done wait for a marine to come in western union <laughs> That's <laughs> I, not could have, anyway. I could have done all david mamet movies i could have done you know yeah I know. Ben Heist, prisoner i mean I, I mean i could have done any of those or or just within this movie three or four different cons within this movie. But I love this particular con and just because it's also wonderful to see a young William H. Macy coming in, trying to look like a Marine uh, and watching and just watching 
Joe Mantegna and William H. Macy and even Lindsay Krauss, who's such a weird wooden actress, handling all of that David Mamet dialogue with such uh, such great um, uh, just the way that they, all of them handle that dialogue. It's like they're dealing with their own personal Shakespeare. I love that so much. And Ricky Jay, it's kind of our introduction, Ricky Jay, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, very, yeah, very good, very good point. That, you he know, does that, the flu. That opening, yeah. no, well, the, the, uh, the older dude does the, the, um, the flu. Oh, I thought it was but Ricky. he's the guy at the table who's supposed to be the guy from Vegas who, uh, who has the, the tell of turning his ring. Um, yeah. and, and Ricky Jay is, great in the scene i mean that whole the whole way that all of that is shot i think house of games is just i think probably my favorite david mamet movie i just love the way that shot although yeah, i love I homicide as well but i just i love the way it's shot it's it's so it's so grimy the the way the actual place called house of games looks uh the way that back room looks and how cheap all of it looks and how terrible Lindsay Krause is, but how appropriate she is for that particular part. And a lot of the actors are, are really aren't that good, but they do that stilted David Bama dialogue so well. Uh, I think Glenn Gary's better, actually. Not I a movie. Not a movie. It's a play. Yeah, what? <laughs> Alec Baldwin. He's only in the movie. <laughs> you're, you're probably right. I don't. I didn't remember that about Glenn Gary, but and it's pretty Krause heavy. I don't know, and, and to yeah. me, I feel like the ending jumps the shark a little bit of House of Games. I don't know, um, like that it doesn't end with a con seems kind of, I don't know, it feels like it's not as interesting. Yeah, I think I guess I could. Like I can she just gets lucky about. She doesn't get lucky, but this has been in this has been planted since the beginning of the movie, right? But suddenly they're careless. It's one of it. It just feels like they're oh. they're a little too. I don't know. It's just kind of too random. Uh, as opposed to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which, uh, I which don't know. Is much more erudite. Yeah, it's more sophisticated, you know? Heist, too. Heist? Heist, uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's my favorite. I, I like can't stand Heist. Right. You hate Heist? You hate that money line, the Danny DeVito line. Yeah, that's why I they call it money. I love that line. What do you like about it? Line is so dumb. Because it doesn't make sense to you? Because it doesn't make any sense. We've it's talked about that. Yeah, I know, but I like, for some reason, it does sort of. It's the way he says it, it kind of imbues it with meaning to me. Is that good writing or bad writing, Tom? That's why they call it money. Mm, I would say simply because the fact that it has provoked so much discussion, it is good writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It got a laugh. Thing is, what cons do the listeners like? All right. We have Paul Weimer. Mm. Uh, favorite cons, exclamation point. So no um, uh, no pun. All right, fine. What? Number three. Weimer? Oh, my God. Z Condus. Wow, he did. He's been. It's a long con. He set it up all along yeah, to check the con, and then he didn't do. Oh, we've been slate of hands. Yeah. That Weimer. Yeah. That Weimer. That's going to be our our sitcom. That Weimer exclamation point. Huge in the fifties. Um, Paul's number three is in Zombieland. We found out. We find uh, out what kind of people Wichita, Emma Stone, and Little Rock, Abigail Breslin. Really are in a flashback where they con a gas station owner out of the money in his till by means of a lost engagement ring that's really cheap junk. Man, I don't even remember that. I vaguely, that was the one. Yeah. I vaguely remember it. 
remember There's a guy in a gas station in Zombieland? Well, it's it's a flashback about Abigail Breslin and who is the other one? Uh, Vegas? Emma Stone, bro. Emma, oh, oh, right, right, of course, right, right. It's, yeah. it's introduction Emma Stone. It was her basic instinct. <laughs> if I uh, Paul's number two in the freshman. Oh man, Paul, this is uh, an idiot. It's a good one. Paul, you win. Uh, there are cons and cons within cons. But my favorite is that we discovered that the whole gourmet club has been a con by Sabatini, Marlon Brando, to defraud people who think that they are getting to eat Komodo dragons <laughs> and other near extinct animals at exorbitant prices. Instead, they're eating Hawaiian tigerfish mixed with smoked turkey from Virginia. Oh, man. It's a Bergman movie. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it's Andrew Bergman. It's absolutely Andrew Bergman, and the uh, and the sad um, voice I was trying to do was, um, geez, what's the name of that guy? It's is it Maximilian Shell? I think it's the guy who who plays the who plays his right hand man, smoked turkey from Virginia. Uh, I just love that movie so much. And Paul, you totally scooped me. It's, he played the robot in Black Hole. Um, God, that's a great pick, Paul. Damn it! The freshman is an awesome con movie. Yeah, it's a total. It's got a total long con about. Um, oh man, Paul. <sighs> All right, Paul, you win. All right, and number one in the Sting, Hooker and Goneriff. <laughs> I don't remember. Is it Goneriff? Sounds like someone from Lord of the Rings. Wait a it, minute. It's Robert yeah. Redford and Paul Newman. I don't remember Goneriff. I don't. I don't remember this thing. This thing He's is married to Gilfaniel. This thing didn't really ever stick with me. I think Goneriff, Yeah, I remember him in the charge at uh, Gondor. The, yeah, Reem. Yeah, well, Sam had an affair with him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, set up a scheme to get money from the mobster Doyle Lonigan, Robert Shaw. Yafala. Yafala. Yeah. Yafala. An elaborate con within a con centered around a gigantic horse racing bet. Uh, is this now a grandpa movie? I don't care. It's a classic. Uh, I resented the sting so much because I was forced to see it once when my mom wouldn't let me stay home and watch Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. It was on that evening at Wonderful World, the Wonderful World at Disney, whatever. Uh, she's like, "No, you can't see it. It's too violent for you. We're gonna make it's, so you have to come to the movies with me." And I had to sit through the sting. The sting. Yep. It's not a good movie for kids because nope. it, it was all we were sort of force-fed it <laughs> along with Butch Cassidy, like these two guys. Red what I remember from the Sting is that cool trick where if you want to make sure nobody's let gotten into your room, you put a piece of paper in the closed door so they you won't know, see it. Yeah, so you know that if they open the door, that they they won't see the piece of paper. It'll fall. It'll be on the floor. So that when you come to go back into your room and you see the paper on the floor, you're like, ah, my mom or my little sister's been in there, busted. You can use that trick. Yeah, that's that's what kids take away from the sting. I think it's got that thing with like Beverly Hills Cop one, where the whole movie is, is vengeance for the death of a character that we don't give a shit about, and we don't, we don't really know. So it's like, okay, cool. I actually do remember watching the sting though. Yeah, like once I was over my resentment, and uh, I I like the sting. Yeah, I mean, but it's I so, feel it's like so, what it is, Kelly Wand. It is so awesome seeing uh, Robert Redford. Uh, Robert Redford, uh, Robert Shaw again. It's like yeah, the you know, poker game is awesome. And, and yeah, just watching Robert Shaw like be like like it must have 
been so cool. People who knew who Robert Shaw was, like they had that extra added dimension to Jaws. Like halfway through the movie, they're watching with this Roy Scheider guy and this little upstart Richard Dreyfuss fella, and whoa, look, Robert Shaw's in this. Cool. What's the year difference? I don't know. Seventy three, seventy five. Jaws was seventy five. Jaws was seventy five. Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, right. It started at all. All started at Jaws. That Star Wars. That's just uh, that's just the latest fashion. But if the Sting gave us Shaw and Jaws, then the Sting started at all. Unfortunately, Jaws is so much more than Robert Shaw Kelly wand. Well, the Sting just bothers me because that. Song bus. that ragtime thing, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hate that ragtime thing so much. It doesn't I, go yeah. with the action, <laughs> but I associate it with. And whenever I see the, whenever I see the title, the Sting, all I think of is that piece of music, which totally annoys me. That music, yeah, makes me think of being like a Shakey's Pizza or something. Exactly, you're exactly right. Remember the Sting yeah. too with Terry Gar? And what? Jackie That's not a thing. And Mac Davis. He was. I don't the, know who that is, but Terry Mac Davis. Thing the thing? Yeah, he's the Redford. And Jackie Gleason's the Paul Newman. Mac Davis? How do you know who that is, Dingus? Because I just remember my parents like listening to him on 8-track tapes or something. Oh, oh he's like a singer or something? I think uh, so, wasn't he? I guess. I just thought he was in The Sting, too. All right. I thought Mac Davis was some sort of crappy singer. Dingus, it's your job this week to watch The Sting, too, and report back to us. Yeah, I won't be good. <laughs> All right, so next we have... Did he sing that song, The Sting song? <laughs> Did he put lyrics to it? the sting like that did you do that is that him maybe I'm thinking is that who Mac Davis is maybe I'm thinking of Neil Diamond I might be thinking of Neil Diamond ew (laughs) close so next we have Arthur Jovangeli hey uh Jackie Gleason's name in the sting too is Fargo Gondorf I just want to (laughs) stop it that's true Fargo Gondorf (laughs) Mac Davis was Jake Hooker Jake Hooker and Oliver Reed played Robert Shaw who was William Shatner in it uh, Gus McClinsky <laughs> good uh, Arthur Jovangelis would, would you do his name for me Jovangelis oh right, right. mamma mia uh, his number three is a movie called take a turn at it this week that's fine <laughs> Arthur's what? number three is a movie called Matchstick Men oh yeah, Nick Cage, brah. Allison Loman. Little yeah. Allison Loman. Uh, Nicholas Cage, a professional con man, gets conned by Sam Rockwell, his partner, and Allison Loman, who exploit Cage's loneliness and distance from his family. Um, she dragged him to hell. I haven't seen... <laughs> Get the yolk. Uh, uh, I haven't seen this movie in probably a decade, but I still remember the reveal associated with this movie's con seeming very cruel and leaving me feeling very sad. There's a lot of emotional manipulation that goes into this movie's con, both on and off screen. He was made low, man. Although it leaves you feeling kind of odd. Uh, is he? I wonder if he's talking about. I didn't like Matchstick Men at all, but Did there's going to see a screening of that in Winnetka. Like Curly Sue. I, well, I remember there's a. There's a scene with Beth Grant in it where they're conning her, and Dingus is on this podcast the one who's mean to Beth Grant because he makes fun of her at the end of No Country for Old Men. I, on the other hand, think Beth Grant is pretty uniformly awesome in everything. But she's got a great scene where they're tricking her 
or conning her in Matchstick Men. And uh, good lord, this podcast is all going to be me telling Hollywood stories. But I was once at an audition, just waiting out in the lobby like you do, and you're just like sitting there with other actors of your like low level or whatever. And you're ilk. All, the word other. we would use is ilk. Ilk, right? Yeah, exactly. They don't need me yet. I'm going to my trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Throw my pipe. And anyway, not for the part I was reading for, but for a different part, Beth Grant comes in, and she has to wait out in the lobby with us schlubs who were there for one line, or I don't even remember what it was for. And I'm just sitting there in a room with nothing to do, and there's like maybe me and one other dude and Beth Grant, and I just felt – I never do this, but she's not going to mind. I just felt so obligated well, to say something to her. So I was like, I just saw Matchstick Man, and I wasn't super crazy about the movie, but I really liked your part in it. And she was just like, of course, as you can imagine, like super gracious about it. And when they opened the door to call her in for her time to read because she got to go in front of us, she says to the woman who lets her in, he just was so nice about my part in Matchstick Man. Bless his heart. Like she, she like praised me to the casting directors. Your heart was sweet. She was exactly like you would expect her to be. But yeah, I love me some Beth Grant. And, that's, and she does have a cool scene in Matchstick Men. So Arthur, I'm down with you. Uh, maybe if that's specifically what Arthur's talking about, I'm with him 100%. Well, when you when you referenced the uh, what don't you like waitress in um, don't you get me started, Dingus? But go ahead. That's what I immediately thought of. Was the Wait, don't that's what Marty McDonald's mother is really like in that movie? Uh, Zero. That's how many people I know in Laramie. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Wan. That's beautiful. Is that right? But oh, El Paso. Nicholas Cage's character isn't just Sorry. dealing with loneliness and distance. He also has, like, OCD. I mean, he's got some severe, like, social anxiety problems that he's dealing with. It's not just loneliness and distance. I mean, that's part of the con. I mean, part of the con is, is that he's got this severe problem with OCD, isn't it? Gosh, I don't remember. Yeah, I do not remember enough of the specifics. I remember uh, Nicholas Cage doing all this, this like, Pat, like OCD kind of stuff, or even like Tourette's kind of kind of things. Uh, do you guys know who Larry Charles is? The guy that was, I think he wrote for Mash. Like he's done. Uh, uh, at any rate, he's a he's a director yeah. who does some really terrible things. He just did a movie with Nicolas Cage about this Yahoo, and this is a true life story. Who decides he's going to go over to Pakistan and capture uh, Osama bin Laden? It was before he was killed, uh, of course. Is it Joe? No, no, I haven't seen Joe. I want to. It's David Gordon right. Green. But no, this is a movie called Army of One, uh, where uh, <laughs> shoot, who's that guy? That uh, English guy that's like married to Katy Perry. Um, what's his name? Nicholas. Shoot, what's that guy's name? Come on, uh, Brand. Oh, Brand Russell. Russell Brand. Is that his Russell name? Russell Brand. Yeah. yeah, Russell Brand plays uh, God, and he appears to Nicholas Cage, who's doing this super high pitched, weird voice, and says, "I want you to go over to Pakistan and uh, find Osama bin Laden." And it's about this guy who really did travel to Pakistan, some idiot thinking over there he was going to capture Osama bin Laden. Of course, he didn't, uh, as as we all know. Uh, and this is a movie about this guy, and it is an absolutely outrageous example of Nicolas Cage acting excesses at their worst. It is amazing. It is just amazing to watch. I mean, I just am astonished that someone would put that on film and edit it together and say, here, watch this. Uh, <laughs> That's how they say it. 
Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Wait, is that the get him to the Greek guy you're talking about? Yes, yes, Mingus, exactly He's that guy. Forgetting Sarah Marsh. Who I find yeah. super grating. I don't know what it is. He's yeah, very great. I don't. I don't think he's with Katy Perry. Seems too greasy. Oh, okay. was. Yeah, I know he was, but he was yeah. Arthur. Oh my God, Ooh. that's right. Maybe that's he's why I don't. to root for him, scorning Jennifer Garner. Speaking of Arthur, his number two is uh, the Sting. Yes. Wait, uh, what? The Thing? The Sting. Oh, oh. The, the Thing for- was also scamming the <laughs> Antarctica guys. That's an interstellar con. <laughs> yeah. Interstellar con. Seriously long. Sorry, Tom Chicken, Kelly Watt. Yeah. All right, so Arthur Giovanginelli's number two is The Sting. Four years after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Paul Newman and Robert Redford learned uh, – sorry, teamed up to – Con Robert Shaw for both profit and revenge. The con in this movie is great and still a pleasure to watch. Forty-three years after it was released, you follow? Yeah, it's good. He's right. Yeah. And Arthur's final one, number one, is Inception. Oh God, I hate this movie. <laughs> I'm totally with you, Arthur. I love this movie. Uh, Westworld's much better, Jonathan Nolan. A con within a dream, within a dream, within a dream. Wait, Jesus con? With, oh, yeah, because they're trying to get something from Killian Murphy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, his his incepted. Or no, they're trying to incept something into him. They're trying to get like a code from him, right? They're trying to put gold into Fort Knox. At its most basic level, Inception is a movie about a con. It just so happens that the tools that are used to carry out the con are dreams, an incredibly unique take on the traditional con plot, and one that adds a strong visual element to the genre. So uh, if memory serves, what they're trying to do is get a code to get inside of a safe. See, Kelly Wand? Oh, yeah, like Inside Man. I should, I do I do want to see that again because I haven't seen it since I was, was in theaters and Inception. Yeah, yeah, I love Inception again. I, I so loved that movie. I know uh, I'm the outlier, but uh, man, uh, great, I don't great pick. I don't I don't mind watching movies I don't like from directors I really do like. Like I find it can be instructive and you know I can, twice. Sure, yeah, I can I can have it playing while I'm doing something else. Like I may not give it mm-hmm. you know I'll give it eighty percent of my attention. I like to remember it. I definitely want to see Inception again. Well, you like Interstellar. So I love me some it's other. It's the yeah. same universe because it starts with the same letters. Hey, I, I forgot to bring this up when we were talking about Hell or High Water. Did you either of you see Starred? Oh yeah, yeah, that's David McKenzie. That I, I mean, yeah. boy, talk about actors. Uh, did right. you see that dingus? Yeah, I watched that this week, and I, uh, I forgot to bring it up. Yeah, Jack O'Connell. That guy is just. He's amazing. It's hard to watch. I hate watching prison movies, but I loved him. He's so freaking good. I, I love, and I don't want to ruin it, but man, that that's just one of these like movie moments that is awesome. Like where he and Ben Mendelsohn like lock eyes across the yard, and Ben Mendelsohn walks across the yard to him, and that whole idea of like what is going on, and yeah. later discover like why they know each other. Like I, I loved those parts of Star, and just watching Jack O'Connell be Jack O'Connell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a real surprise, and I, I hadn't even thought about it. I just looked it up this week. Like, Isn't Jack O'Connell like in Money Monster or something? There's something he's done recently that I had zero yeah. desire to see. I don't know. That was it. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, have you seen, while we're on the subject of David McKenzie movies, what do you think about the movie with Ashton Kutcher and Anne Heche called Spread? Oh. It is the second best Ashton Kutcher movie behind the one where he plays a wrestler 
who goes out with Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't like every movie where there's wrestling. (laughs) There's no wrestling in spread. Annie McBride. (laughs) Wait, what? Mr. Woodcock. (laughs) There's no wrestling in spread. It's just a movie about how hot Anne Heche is, and uh, Ashton Kutcher probably goes to a lot of nightclubs. That's what that Mm. movie's about. Yeah. So no one's acting. Or we're being long conned by both of them. <laughs> All right, Shut up, Juan. Speaking of cons, we've got our final uh, listener submission. This is from Chris Markinson. Uh Hey, guys. I think that I've interpreted the term con a little too broadly. Sweet. Hopefully I can skirt the law. Number three, con. Portraying a store Santa and one of Santa's elves in Bad Santa... Ah, good one. Billy Bob Thornton and Tony Cox. Thank you for saying his name. I appreciate that, Mr. Markinson. Uh, Tony Cox work on a long con in order to rub them all. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that a police sting can count as a con. And my number two pick is the sting that the FBI runs in American Hustle to try to root oh. out political corruption. Yeah. All right, that's fair enough. Okay. Thought of that one. Wait, so dig it, Mark. You're gonna let Markinson get away with uh, portraying a police sting as a con? Sure, why not? No, they're stinging the police though. It's this called law enforcement. It's not a con when you're no, enforcing no, the law. No, they're conning the cops. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Con okay, never mind. In that case, I retract my objection. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris Markinson's number one con to make men think they can be amorous with Scarlett Johansson. Wait a minute. Chris. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I saw Vicky Christina Barcelona fight. In Under the Skin, Scarlett Johansson uh, lures men back to her room so that's that a they con. can be processed <laughs> for food. Hey, if the thing is an interstellar con, so is Under the Skin. So women are just con artists. Not women, aliens. Are you talking about women? She's using a woman's body. doesn't mean women are con. It means aliens are con artists, Kelly. Yeah. Have you seen Under the Skin? I read the book. <laughs> or part of it. Uh, I'm reading the Sexy Beast book at the same time. Chris Markinson goes on to say, to quote Kelly Wand, still a cool date. Still interested. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great date. I wish I was on that date. you going to accept that one? Uh, These these are all of a piece, and yeah, I'm going to have to let Chris go with this. Hmm. You know, Chris really, really liked Hell or High Water, I should have to say. I don't know if I said that during the podcast. So Chris is on Team Tom with Kelly Wand. He's Kel on Wand. Team Tom, yes. Dingus, your team yeah. is alone. You are with 2% of the reviewers <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, Dingus. I hope you're happy. Yeah. I'm the only one who did not like Hell or High Water in all of America. Yeah, there's at least one. If there were 100 people that reviewed it, there's at least one other, assuming you're one of them. He's the right. 2%. Dingus is the 2%. That's right, Kelly Wand. Yeah. He's the uh, I'm, a two, I'm a 2%er. All right, so uh, th- that's all the cons we've got for tonight. Do you guys have any runners up? Uh, I was gonna the thing, but you know, uh, Obi Wan's <laughs> non-fake physical gesture is a great con. Uh, I had Manchurian Candidate. He's conning them, and um, no, uh, Death Trap. I had and oh. uh, Poltergeist are conning the family. Why is po- <laughs> <laughs> Aliens conning Ripley. Oh, the the movie is conning the cast because they don't know they're in a horror. They're in a horror movie. Yeah, they think they're in a mining documentary. <laughs> you can see, uh, do you have runners up? I have they one, think it's mate one. I have one other favorite short con, and that's the con in the Grifters. That's just this really ill-advised short con where you like 
show a bartender the $20 bill, and then he turns to give you something, and then you swap it for a 10. That seems so dumb. Like, that would never work. Like, no bartender's going to look at it. Oh, it doesn't in the movie. (laughs) Right, right. It it works a number of times for him, probably, but then he runs into a bartender who's, like, not having any of it and just punches him in the gut with his with his bully stick. I mean, it's terrible. Well, his yeah. face isn't selling it. He's just like, uh. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, his face is a little like, uh. Yeah. He's not doing the David He doesn't have either. the confidence for it. Uh, well, see? Well, he doesn't have the stomach for it. Hmm. Yeah, because he gets punched. Up. That's what she said, but that's her line. You don't have the stomach for it. Get out of this. That's what but Angelica Houston says to him, you don't have the stomach for it. Isn't that Stephen Frears? Is that Stephen Frears? It is Stephen Frears. And you know who does the voiceover at the beginning of it about the racetrack? Oh, I didn't recall a voiceover, but I'm going to just guess. Harrison Ford. Nope. Kelly, I'm going to guess. Is it Daniel Day-Lewis? That's just crazy talk. No. Who, who does it? Martin Scorsese does a voiceover oh. at the beginning of The Grifters uh, about how about how it works at the racetrack to, to run a con. I'm not sure I approve of that. It would have been funny if he'd done the voiceover for War of the Worlds. He just <laughs> yeah, it's a he War of the Worlds. Such a funny, distinct, weird, clipped way of speaking Manor. that really kind of works at the beginning of the Grifters. I and would I think like he produced the movie as well. Okay, so he he that's how he got the part. I see. Nepotism. <laughs> Are you guys ready for next week's three by three? Oh yeah! All right. There's going to be first of all, we're going to lay down a law about next week's three by three. Just get this out of the way right off the bat. No. Body swap movies. They do not qualify yes. for this. Don't even think about it. So right now, immediately, no, immediately rule out body swaps. So, so this stop. is your top three favorite non-body swap movies. All right, so I'm just saying that. that. I'm just I'm leading with a law. I'm, In Freaky Friday, they just I'm setting minds. a foundation for for this three by three. Do you guys remember in The Accountant? Uh, ben Affleck grows up to be like a super assassin with Aspergers. And do you remember the actor who played him when he was young? Uh, Precisely my point. You don't. What I want are instances where it's notable, where you remember either because it's great or it's terrible when an actor switches to another actor, either because generally because he or she grew up. Like where you have a young actor becoming an older actor or an old actor becoming a a way older actor where they need to swap out the actors. Sometimes these are great. Sometimes these are terrible where one actor becomes another one generally Due to aging, right? Don't give me body swap movies. I don't want to hear about how awesome Jason Bateman is at becoming Ryan Reynolds. I'm just talking about like when you have to – because sometimes you could just give somebody like old people makeup or you could recast the part. Uh, so I want your favorite instances, that, you know, either great or terrible instances of actors turning into other actors. So when they changed Kenny Baker RTD2 to CG Kenny uh, RTD2, does that count? See? See? See what happens if you don't lay down the law? You get stuff like that from Kelly Wong. It's a different actor. And then actor switches to another actor. So, for instance, I'm sure you guys saw Central Intelligence, and you James know how Bond. in the early parts of Central Intelligence, they did not cast another actor to be Dwayne Johnson. Instead, they did, like, CG around his body to make him look like a young fat kid. Oh. They still had Dwayne Johnson playing a young Dwayne Johnson. So that's your they number could two? Have, they could have had Kellen Lutz, for instance, playing like right. – well, it had to be like high school age. But it has to be the same character, right? Yeah, the same character, exactly. So, so, so different actors playing the same character within the same movie. Right. 
Maybe that's a better way. But to not, so not body swaps. Okay. Not, that's exactly it. I don't want body swaps. Oh, I the same it, movie. I want it where a different actor plays the same character, where a character switches from one actor to another. Yeah. Okay. And it can, it can be great or terrible. It just has to not be something like The Accountant where you're like, uh, I don't remember the guy who played Ben Affleck when he was a kid. Because you don't. There was nothing to that. I don't remember the, the kid who played the brother either, but I noticed the, that I thought the nose casting was perfect because uh, it made me realize, oh, well, that's who the brother is because the noses were very similar. Well, But I don't know who that actor is. I might have scooped one of your picks then, huh? How about that? <laughs> but it's exactly so, that sort of thing, Dingus. Like if you yeah. think that it really worked or there are times when it really doesn't work and it's hilarious. Uh, and yeah, it, right. one of mine is going to be one of those. So Oh, so it can be funny. Well, it's your favorite. So, yeah, that's a good point, Tom. Either favorite for, because it's awesome or because it's terrible. Yeah. All right, good. So. I like this. All right, okay, so send uh, your picks if you're listening to this and you have picks that don't involve Kenny Baker being CG'd. Send them in to 3x3 at quarter3.com, uh, and we'll read them on the air next week. Uh, also, sometime between now and next week, uh, if you can, this might be more difficult for some than others, uh, go see the movie Loving, which is the most recent movie from uh, <laughs> Jeff Nichols, and uh, let us know what you think of it. Uh, send to 3x3 at quarter to three a separate email just uh, with some comment or observation, or maybe you've got something that you wonder, hey, what did Kelly Wan think about this part of Loving? Send those questions in also to 3x3 at quarter to three.com. We will gladly address those and include them in the podcast. Uh, so join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been here this week with Christian Rintz-Diskley. It's Christian Morosky. And also Kelly Wand. Hey, if Grand Moff Tarkin had a vasectomy, his name would be Grand Ma Tarkin. La, la, la. A big and bright. Deep in the heart of the the prairie sky is wide and high. La 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 la. The heart of Texas. The sage in bloom is like perfume. Deep in the heart of Texas. La la. Oh, the one I love. Deep in the heart of Texas. Dingus, remember when Army of One was the slogan for the actual army? I love you, Kelly. I mean it. Oh, it was insincere. But I get it. It sure feels like beer o'clock. You know, if we took an oath that the Queen's heart would not be changed <laughs> from... It's not your choice to make. It's not on this computer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be doing some editing here. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! <laughs> Just edit out all that. All that talking.